This is Andrew McLean, creator of Headlopper and Apocalyptic Girl. You are listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. I'm going to go with that. Are you sure? Yes, I, I feel that that sounded very, very good. Okay. Because I'm here for you. No, yeah, it we, was it was punctual. Do this all day. No, nah, I like, like it. All right. Yeah. It was forceful. We're gonna roll with it. Yes. He was yeah. invading. Yeah. I'm also I'm also in the dining room because I can get a little bit of a cross breeze. We don't have we don't it it's we're ramping up to be into a heat wave, but we um but the AC is not as um, quiet. As it was, so we're not running it as often because it can be a little loud. So we're having a look at that tomorrow. Anyway, we don't have the AC on right now, so so Zach can brag all he wants. But mm. we, um, you know, so I'm downstairs because I have the cross breeze, and and I figure since we have a, a guest tonight, um, it'd be nice if I didn't like you know drop out 20 minutes into the episode. That would be That's yeah. That would not be good. Yeah, yeah. I love it when my air conditioners uh, makes noises. When it when it comes through the vents and shit, and it goes. Ah, I love it because that's the sound of cool, refreshing freedom from the heat. I, I can feel cool, refreshing freedom, and that's fine. If 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 I live somewhere that the unit hasn't been looked at in like seven years, I'd, I'd expect that. But it's not even a year old. So wow, mm. we are far longer than a year old. This is eleven years. <laughs> what are we? Twelve years old now. We uh, two thousand eight. So no, no, no. We're we're into our eleventh year. Look at yeah. this. Eleven, yeah. eleven. Uh oh. Don't look at the clock. It's Absolutely. eleven. O- <laughs> it's eleven right. o'clock. Comics fumbling all over the damn place. Yeah, uh, episode what? Six hundred and eighteen. Yeah, sounds good. Wow. Good gravy. And I am Vince B. Oh, you are Vince B. And I have missed you. And I am David A. Price. Ooh. Oh, yes, the silence. Yeah. The silence speaks volumes because um, young Jason Wood is on a tangent. He's not going to be here this episode. So we thought, hey, let's step it up and get a bigger brain to, to fill his shoes. So we reached out and we touched our good buddy. You've heard him here many times before. He is a comic book writer. He is a comic book historian. He is a uh, soon-to-be-published author on his very favorite subject. I'm feeding words into his mouth, but he'll, he'll let me do it. And he'll tell you about that, too. He is one of the hosts of the Pictures Within Pictures, the Palindrome podcast, with um, our buddies Will and Ben. He's Zach Crusay. Hello. Look at him. Hello. Hi, Zach. Hi, guys. Hi. Oh, I'm, sh- I'm just shaking with excitement. I was waving my hands and everything. Okay, I'm going to not go there. Well, we got echoes all over the place, but this is cool. Take us a speakerphone caller. Yes. You sounded like a little like Art Bell. He used to get bitchy with when people used to call in and they'd have the phone on. Art Bell would be like, turn off your goddamn phone. You know how this works. But hey, when the aliens landed in Pahrump, who was there to defend us? Not Art Bell. Mm -mm. But you know who will defend you? 
They'll defend your right to pay inexpensive prices for your favorite comic books and collectibles. And, of course, you know Discount Comic Book Service. We say it every week. DCBService.com is going to get you the stuff you want at the price you want to pay. And uh, here's some specials to whet your whistle or your appetite. From Marvel, J. Jonah Jameson's son, Johnny, done got fucked up and turned into a werewolf or a moon wolf or a, a lycanthropic character. And it was chronicled in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man, uh, Giant Size Superheroes, Creatures on the Loose, which is a great run. Uh, Marvel Premiere, Marvel Team-Up, Savage She-Hulk, and Peter Parker, the Spectacular Man. Spectacular Man. <laughs> the spe- <laughs> the spe- <laughs> so stupid. That would have been great. The Spectacular Man. The Spectacular Spider-Man Annual. Number one, I'm of course talking about the Man-Wolf from Marvel. It's the Marvel Man-Wolf Complete Collection trade paperback. It is a huge honkin' tome. Think Epic Collection. It's around the same size as a volume in the Epic Collection, but it's just chock full of Bronze Age and a little bit later, uh, Man Wolfy goodness, it will cost you not thirty nine ninety nine cover price. No way you're going to pay $19.99. That's a 50% savings. That's awesome. From Amp Adult, we have the Olivia James Nancy hardcover collection volume one i've heard so much about this i just i can't wait to read it this yeah it says um olivia james in 2018 became the first woman to write and illustrate the classic comic strip nancy what took so long um she has a fresh irreverent take on the character this is a i believe it's like 140 some odd pages it's an eight by eight square it's a hardcover it's only going to cost you eight dollars and 24 cents after discount you must order this Right, I'm gonna bringing up the rear, Thanks. but certainly not in size. It is the Chris Ware Rusty Brown hardcover from Pantheon. My God, I'm not going to read the synopsis again because it's just egregious. It's ridiculous. But Chris Ware, master, can we all agree on that? Mm. Yeah, yeah, master of the form. Yeah, this is a book that it says is has been 16 years in the making. My goodness, it's a $35 hardcover, big, thick thing, and uh, you are going to pay twenty-four fifty. That's 30% off. Now, you're maybe asking yourself, hey, usually you hit us with 45 and 50% off. Why the ever-loving hell are you putting this out there and it's only 30% off? Because I feel like you should order this, especially if you've never experienced Chris Ware before, because... It it will be very eye-opening if you have not been exposed to this man's visual voice. It's just impeccable. So do it. Uh, Chris Ware's Rusty Brown from Pantheon. As always, Discount Comic Book Service does not mind late orders or order editions, and you get your books delivered right to your door. What's easier? Nothing. Mm-hmm. It takes more effort to go to the bathroom than it does to, to order on Discount Comic Book Service, dcbservice.com. Take my word nice. for it. It does take more effort. Yeah, it's true. I can vouch for all of that. It is, it's true. I don't. I always speak in truths. I, I, I in fact, I can't lie, much to my dismay. I'm a little, um, now that I think about it, because I, I, I know that when you mentioned Nancy last time, and Tom talked about it for a couple minutes. I don't know why I why it wasn't in my um, 
video for uh, the previous picks for the patrons. I just, I, I guess, I just, it was one of those things where, uh, wouldn't you get it? So maybe that's why I didn't mention it. But I right. absolutely have the page dog-eared and, and plan on getting it. So I feel like I let people down. Yes, that's correct. It was not in your previews video. <laughs> Almost on time. That was great. Was that good? I'm reading from good the cue card. And the, mm-hmm. the little person is not holding it high enough. No food for you. But uh, do you do you I, just stop? I don't really. It doesn't really matter to me either way because I got to make them. Do you watch right. mine at all? I well, no. I listen to yours because you're There's not. Nothing on. Really it's to just. See. I mean, I've already seen these pages because I've gone through previews. So I do okay. listen to yours. I haven't listened to yours yet this month because it's been a crazy fucking week. But uh, yes, I do listen to yours and I listen to Jason's because I, I love the aerial view of previews when he does his you hmm. guys are so sweet to each other not uh, apparently not me because I... no. <laughs> and i'm sure jason doesn't either because you know he, he's got he, th- those eight minutes need to be accounted for he, he ain't got time for this he's you like, can only multitask so much within the <laughs> right. span of eight wrap minutes. it up yes that's it it's like why am i listening to you just keep going i'm but reading a graphic do. novel about the coming of age of a tw- <laughs> I mean, that'll come later it's <laughs> 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 really, really important only it's for the name. patrons. Only for the yeah. patrons. Yeah. And uh, so I have a thank you before we, we go. Oh, no, me too, but go ahead. We're doing this wrong. We're, we got to do the drink roll call first because oh. I'm going to let everybody okay. down. I'm going to oh, be Jason. Let's see. You're playing Jason this week. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm playing Jason this week. I, I Okay. First of all, I am never hmm. taking another night off because if I get anywhere near toasted as much as you're roasting Jason, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I never roast you. <laughs> ask no, him. he would though. So ask him. Ask him. Um, yeah. Uh, I am <laughs> drinking from Clear American America. This is uh, mm-hmm. key lime flavored water, sparkling water. Oh, I thought you could say like lime marita or some shit. No. I would love for our guest to go next. Uh, ah, Clear American though. I mean, wow, that's the good stuff, right? Not, no. that, not that clearly Canadian. <laughs> clearly that Canadian natty light out of here. Clearly Canadian costs like seven dollars a bottle. So, yeah. um, I have uh, a beer called Weezin the Juice because apparently these people love Pauly Shore a lot. <laughs> uh, they love oh, Pauly Shore so much that they named a beer after him or after his you know, catchphrases. Uh, so it sounds uh, good, buddy. It is. It's super good. It's a juicy IPA, and I never get tired of calling things juicy. Mm-hmm. So I walked my true. ass down to the convenience store and picked some up before uh, you Skyped me. So Aww. here we are. You put yeah. more effort to it than I did. Well, it's- I got to take a walk every night anyway, so I might as well walk down to the convenience store. And then I got to carry something back, so that, that counts for some kind of exercise, it right? It sure does. Yeah, they don't measure it on my Fit thing on my phone, but it's got to count for something. So. Yeah, it counts with us. Yeah, see? That's all yeah. I care about. Uh, I, because it is on the warmer side this evening, um, and I already had wine with dinner, I needed something with a big-ass ice cube, so I am enjoying some Bullet Bourbon Frontier Whiskey. Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Wow. Why not put it as many times as you can on the sticker? Yeah. From the but frontier. From the frontier. But is it that's the final frontier? Sorry. That's, well, that's yeah. how you know it's masculine. Mm. 
Right. Yeah. It comes with a five o'clock shadow. They should just call it oh, stupid burn. Stupid. Yeah, because if it's masculine, it's bound to be stupid. That's true. Yeah. That's got to be right. That yes. sounds right. That checks yeah. out. It's, somebody do the math on that. That's got to be right. Okay. <sighs> All right. The big old uh, thank you to, to, to Patrick Delira because the brother hooked me up with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2019 free comic book day issue, which has an exclusive City at War chapter, which I did not know they were going to do that at the when I was ordering my free comic book day books. I didn't know that they were going to put a chapter of this storyline in the free thing that wasn't going to be made available because I don't go to the shop anymore for free comic book day. It's a bit redundant. I only end up dropping money on stuff that I don't really need just because I took a, a, a couple of free things. You know what I mean? So I didn't order it. And then when I'm reading the current run of Turtles, I go from issue 93 or whatever it was to 94. And I'm like, wait a minute. 94 this is i don't remember this and it's because there's a chapter missing in between which was this free comic book day thing so and he also sent me a little tiny well not tiny but small in stature the wally wood christmas book oh and it looks like a a golden book but it doesn't have a gold spine but it's it 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 follows in the footsteps of the golden book and it's it's about let's see about 40 pages around there Right, and it's Wally Wood's Christmas images that he designed for friends and family that he he hand uh, illustrated, and then there's a uh, Bucky and the Christmas Caper, a a strip, good old fashioned wow. Wally, Wally Wood uh, Christmas Caper, and uh, it's kind of hard to read Wally Wood's um, from this era with not without expecting like a naked lady popping out from behind you know a bucket you know because there's this there's this bucky character and he's he reminds me of the kind of characters he had running around in the in the snow white thing and the you know so i'm expecting the dirtiness or the 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 erotic qualities of wally yeah. Wizard, and there's none here it's it's very wholesome reading which is yeah. good yeah yeah, so thank you, Patrick. Of, speaking of Woody, though, did you get that? Um, did you get that uh, erotic art of Wally Wood book that Fantagraphics just put out? Of course, I did. Okay. Yes. I was just looking at it the other day, longingly. I haven't read the whole thing yet, but that um, they do a really nice job with that Disney image, though. It's in there multiple times. Yes. Yeah, it's really it's really a uh, beautiful package the way they put that together. Yeah, and Sally Forth is gorgeous. Yeah, she's yeah. just yeah, yeah. She, the. There's a reason why whenever the name Wally Wood is is floated out there, it conjures one of two things: intensely detailed technology from his stuff that he did for the EC uh, science fiction books, or drop dead gorgeous women like mm-hmm. angels, voluptuous angels, horny angels. Yes, the best kind. Yes. Yeah. Um, it was going to be. I mean, it's not really a segue. It's not because it's your your thank you leads into my thank you. But then you went ahead and mentioned Wally Wood, and I'm going to segue that into something else. But my thank you is to our very good friend, Mr. Chris Revacant, who, thanks to you, Vincent, I was aware that. Um, 
the city at war has a chapter in the free comic book day and i too did not order it or i don't know i don't even think i saw it that saturday at the comic shop um I'm pretty sure Turtles was one of the first ones to get taken out of the store. So um, I really, I'm, I'm trying to think if, as I was looking over at that table, I don't think the Turtles was there. In any event, I, thanks to your post on the Facebook group page, um, when I realized that, uh, when you realized it, leading me to realize it, and and um, Chris was kind enough to reach out to me tell me that uh he had one if i needed it so um and since i did and i do uh he did and i thank him for that um nice fully um and then i can now hurry up and get caught up on turtles because there are a couple things i need to um catch up on but they say uh, that issue 95 is selling if it's out yet or will uh whatever the case issue 95 is gonna go for bucks I won't tell you really? why. Yes, that's the thing that was spoiled for me. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember the last issue I picked up then. Um, how many chapters has there been? 95 is part what? Well, there's been, including this free comic book day thing, which is a point five or whatever, there's been two chapters to date. But I'm a monthly DCBS. Well, right, you're, but you're right. So I'm getting them. At, I actually ordered from the shop, and which it really there's no excuse for me to be yeah. delayed in it. But um, then I'm whatever issue you're getting in your next box, I have. So whatever whatever okay. chapter that is, right. I don't know if that's 95. I just got 95 in my last box, which came last week. So then I should have 95. Okay. Upstairs. Okay. Um, Got to say, Wachter's doing a phenomenal job. I hate to derail oh, the, the, the conversation. And it's also very heartwarming to see a Dave Wachter book going for exorbitant it's true. prices. It's true. Yeah. Until we get well, him on Daredevil. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I was flipping through, and I mentioned this to um, to our good friend, Paul French, on the um, in the Reddit group. I was flipping through the... Teen Titans, Silver Age Omnibus that Vince forced me to buy at uh, at C2E2. And I did not realize at the time, and I'm, I'm sure I might have read a reprint here or there, or at least flipped through it, but issue 19 of Teen Titans is in this collection. And it, the, the, the art team is Gil Kane inked by Wally Boyd. Oh, sweet Jesus. Oh. And I swear to dude, it is my life's mission now to own that issue. I want as much, and it's no secret how I feel about Gil, but seeing, and, and we know that Wally has inked Jack, and, and we know what Wally's work looks like by himself and when he inks other people, but... As much as I love, I mean, this this is it's just a feast for the eyes. It's it's gorgeous, and yeah, I'm, I know I'm telling you guys who, of course, know, but it's just if if for anybody who hasn't, if you can, Google Gil Kane Wallywood just or, or look for those those panels from Teen Titans. But it is such a thing of beauty, and I I I just kept flipping through these few pages in in this omnibus and and. Uh, it's just it's it's stunning. I think you approached it in the wrong way. You should have 
talked about it after you bought the original issue because now with people hearing this, they're going to Google it and they're going to see it. They'll be like, hot damn, I want this issue. Mm. There's going to be a run on Teen Titans 19. Uh, yeah. Well, Thanks. you know, that's not, you're that's not selfish. Not, not real. It is real. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. But, you know, though, Woody on, Woody on anybody, though, like, yeah. anybody, it's a master, like, a, like one of those, like, master cartoonists from, like, the Silver Age and before. Yes. Anytime you add Wallywood inks, it's just elevated to a whole different level. Seriously. Which, which is saying something because, you know, those guys, you list Gil Kane, Ditko, Kirby, Onda, I mean, anybody. Eisner. Eisner, I mean, oh, yeah, I mean, he did so much for, to move Will Eisner's career forward. It's obnoxious, right? Yeah. But it's, it's really just such a thing of beauty. Anything that his brush touched was incredible. There's, I know that, um, like we, I'll mostly make fun, but you know, we know when, when Klaus is inking someone, it looks like Klaus inking someone. If if yeah. same thing with Tom Palmer and, and, and I love Tom Palmer's line, but he's, he, he can be a tad heavy handed. Um, yeah. You know, there and and there are even even Austin who, you know, Austin and Byrne is a fantastic combination, but you can still see Austin when he inks Marshall Rogers in, in those old detective comics. So there's there's yeah. definitely inkers, artists who um make themselves known. I, Al Milgram never does. He, he's 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 very um he doesn't hide the penciler's line to begin with, but whatever you see an anchor and, and you know that particular Inker's line work, like Mark Farmer, you know how 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 he does with the curves. He's very fluid and, and it looks gorgeous, whether he's inking Alan Davis or Dale Keown or anybody. But the point I'm making is that, you know, you have inkers who you do know when they're there. Their their presence is definitely felt. Whereas with Wally, whether he's inking Jack or inking Gill, it's 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 now a, a new, unique thing yeah, that, sure. that would never exist without either one and yeah. and it's just it's oh my god i yeah. i can't they're just two unbearably strong visual voices like yeah. i think the outer space spirit the teaming of will eisner and wally wood <sighs> i think that's one of the most gorgeous things i own and if you remove will eisner from the equation yeah sure it's going to look great and if you remove wally from it it's going to be eisner which is you know nothing to sneeze at either but the combination of the two holy malarkey like it's yeah. it's just amazing it, it 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 boggles my mind how these gorgeous images could be crafted by human hands it's like they were just a gift from the gods like here we had this laying around on a cloud we're just going to give it to you yeah. it's just amazing but, I, think, I think no you uh, go I was going to say, I think, David, you're right, though. I mean, it's almost as though with each of those pairings, whenever Woody gets paired with one of those people, it creates a new third person. Yeah. Because, like, and, and I'm just, like, my memory immediately goes to the the Wood and Kirby stuff on Challengers, right? I mean, that looks like Kirby. It looks like Wood, but it doesn't look exclusively like one or the other. Right. It's right. something that is wholly unique to that pairing. And it's just, it's a third person. And it's incredible. Well, I mean, isn't it the way it should be all the time? In perfect, well, I, you know, under under perfect conditions, I think a, sure. a, a pencil or inker combination should produce a third person. Absolutely. But yeah, you know, absolutely. then you got you got guys like uh, Klaus. I love his work, but it seems to me like the phone's ringing. 
when he's inking and he's trying to get through the panel to answer the phone. <laughs> but that's okay. I mean, he pulls yeah, it no, off. I know. It, he pulls it off. A lot off. of times it's like, I don't, I don't know if there was a pencil or just someone giving breakdowns to Klaus right, and then right, he yeah. just finished it. But uh, yeah, no, there's, there's, and you, the way you just asked Vince where, you know, isn't that the way it should be? I, as somebody who will, you know, the hill I will die on is, is making sure anchors get credit. And, and it's, you know, yes, I do absolutely believe. It. I mean, I, I love being able to tell just looking at it if I know which anchor, like, like when we have, if it's Krusty Bunkers or, you know, it's an issue of, of Civil War or something and, and three different anchors worked on it. It's like, you know, you, you're able to tell exactly when um, Cam Smith came on the page and, and when, you know, Tim Townsend did. And it's, that's great and all that you can tell that yes people should have leave their stamp on it have their mark and and you should be able to tell you know when someone does something but i absolutely agree especially after looking at this issue of of the titans again it, it it's yes it's it's perfect when it's it's just it's a beautiful marriage where without them like you'll never get you'll never get the look in this issue whether Wally or Gil worked with anybody else and, and Wally inked someone else and, and Gil was inked by someone else, it will never be this. And and that's the way it should be, I think. Yes, I, I would like teams to be this distinctive where they they can – they're still fantastic on their own, but when they come together, it's just something that could never be matched or attempted. Yeah. Fact. I can't add to that. Nope. Good night, everybody. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the end of the show, right? Yeah, so tune, yeah, tune in uh, next so, time. Yeah. So we want to thank the beer and hit the sack. So um, is this? So we did the thank you to the drinks. We did a, a long ass rambly intro. So how's everybody's week been? Okay. Yeah, cool. it, it was uh, in terms of comics, which is why we were gathered here. <gasps> yes. I had a, a great friggin' week. It seems like everything I read was awesome. That's good. I am glad to hear you say that because I do know there's one thing that we both read, you and I, Vince, and and um, we don't have to lead with that. But I'm I'm glad to hear that everything you've read this week is great because I wasn't quite sure how you'd feel about it, but. Um, I believe Zach, if you're talking cr- I, I, criminal, I, I, Zach read it too. No, I'm not talking criminal. Oh, no, okay. I, I, read I read criminal. Criminal is fantastic. Yeah, I didn't oh, yeah. see you add anything to your... I did before we recorded. Right before. Oh, thank God that you read that. Good, because I could talk about it now. Okay. Because I have notes for it, but I was just going to give you the benefit of the doubt. If you did not read it, I was going to, to hold back. But now that you've read it, screw it. All bets are off. But you want you want to start off with criminal? We can start off with criminal. Yeah, let's start off with criminal because I mean we started from the top. In my estimation, monthly books do not get better than Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips's criminal. And uh, these issues we're talking about five and six were mm-hmm. also a color art by Jacob Phillips. Oh, and Jacob yes, spent uh, coloring dad since. Uh, my heroes have always been junkies. Or all yes, my heroes have been junkies. Yes, uh, Jacob has a little bit of a Betty Breitweiser um, style to him, and that's great. Yeah. But I, I think he adds immeasurably to the book. 
So uh, Criminal 5 and 6, the first two chapters in what Ed is calling Cruel Summer. And he claims that it's going to be the longest criminal story to date. Yes. Yes. And it also features the death. I mean, they've been teasing this for a while. Uh, features the death of a longtime criminal character. If you read issue four, mm-hmm. you, did you read four? Oh, yes. You saw the handiwork of, of you know, whoever done did it. I mean, the, there was someone who was imprisoned for it, but we don't know whether or not that person was the actual killer. I'm sure we'll see what's going to happen. But the rub, as they say, starts off with a man named Dan Faraday. He's an ex-cop, private investigator, and he's got, uh, he's got a dark past. And, and he's hired by a fat cat named Kirk Wyndham. Wyndham says, I want you to find a woman. <laughs> Don't we all? Turns out the woman is Wyndham's, or is, was Wyndham's mistress. And Wyndham set her up, you know, he was paying her rent, got her in a nice crib, as Jason would say, um, paying all her bills because um, she's beautiful and he wants her back on the surface. He tells Faraday, I want you to find her because I just want to tell her what she means to me. Now, naturally, Faraday thinks, you know, I'm going to give this dude the location of this woman and he's going to he's going to kill her. But um, he he plays along. Uh, Wyndham hasn't had any contact with her. And, you know, like I said, he just wants to tell her how much his, his, his uh, side piece means to him. So um, there's a handful of very detailed pages involving Faraday's search for the woman. He's very good at finding people. He, he checks out her apartment and he finds a, a glass with lipstick on it and he puts it in a little bag and he says, ah, I must send this to my buddy at, you know, get some prints off this. Maybe I'll find out her real name, you know, and he redials the phone and he gets the last number and it was for, um, transportation out, you know, and he, along the way he's paying people to tell him the information, you know, so he, he drops a lot of coin trying to find this woman, right? No, all expenses paid. Well, but still, he's still spending, you know, he's still throwing the money out there. He's very very smart. He's very crafty. But it turns out the woman he's trying to find is both of those things as well. And she's not above using her feminine wiles to get what she wants. And she knows exactly the type of guy that will provide for her. And theft does not fall outside of her moral code because she stole the necklace from Wyndham. He didn't even know. You know, she's good, right? And Faraday is impressed with her skills. The lady is growing on him, let's just say. And he finds her. Uh, where else? In in a hotel bar. And uh, he eventually comes clean on who he is and what he's doing. And after, she, you know, she's confronted, her name is Jane, a.k.a. Marina. She lets fly with the reasons why she left Wyndham. Like, the man's a dickhead. And he's prone to sadism. He slapped her around a little bit and put out a, a cigar in her thigh. Like, a real nice guy. Um, and while she's telling him the story, like, Dan cozies up to Marina even more than, you know, he should. He lets down his guard and he tells her a story about his time in Vietnam where he and his company were in the jungle for eight days 
and they're starving and they're afraid and they, you know, every step could be their last. You're in a war zone, right? And, and they stumble upon a village. So Dan grabs something to eat, but his men did despicable things to the inhabitants of said village. They killed and, and raped and burned and destroyed and like, you know, like a bunch of um, bloodthirsty Vikings, I guess. But um, so the woman that they had their way with, they imprisoned her. She gets out and she grabs a gun. She just starts shooting up people. And and Dan fell asleep in in the jungle and wakes up. He's gut shot. The guy next to him is dead. And he thinks he's going to die. But someone in the company shot the woman before she could shoot Dan. And he remembers, he explicitly says this. He says, you know, I I I wish I could have helped her. And then he transposes that thought onto Jane and says, you know what? You're making all the wrong kind of enemies. Um there's I hope there's not a time where I wish I could have helped you, you know. So she she's working on him. She's her she's very attractive, and she she, and she's aloof, and um, you know when when you're attracted to something and the something's not paying you all that much attention, you try extra hard, right? And he's just he's he's bearing down on her, but um, she agrees. I guess she she either manipulates him into you know coming into the uh let's go get dinner and drinks right so they're walking through a parking garage and who pops up but teague good old teague lawless with a wrench <laughs> and and he clocks old dan a little bit too many times um and we'll, we find out why later but he he bat and she stops him she's like teague stop you're gonna kill him right so they leave and um when right before Dan lost consciousness, he hears the name Teague, right? So he wakes up in the hospital, you know, days go by and Wyndham fires him, but, but Dan doesn't care because he, he remembers that name. It's a unique name, right? Teague. Um, and he does a little bit of searching on Teague and, and finds out that Teague is not a very nice dude and uh, um, a very, very bad seed. And she want, he wants to protect Jane from this, this Teague. But what he doesn't know, and that's issue six, which is the flip side of the meeting between Dan and, and Jane in, in the hotel bar, it's um, leading up to that from Teague's perspective. Yes. And it turns out Teague is in love with Jane. And um, Teague and his buddy... Uh, Chick Severin. I love how yes. Brubaker. That was my favorite part of the six issue. Yeah, he butts up names of famous comic book artists to make character names, and we have Chick Severin, Chick Stone, and John Severin. Mm. Um, so Teague and his buddy Chick Severin. I'm gonna say it a million times. They they robbed a convenience store. Just spur of the moment, you know. Let's go rob this place. They robbed the store. They get twenty five thousand dollars for doing it much more than they expected and so they go out on the town to celebrate and they end up in this this club where there's mounds of cocaine in the bathrooms and there's dirty stuff going on on the dance floor and that's when teague sees her he sees jane in in the in the 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 club and he's immediately smitten immediately struck by by how beautiful he is he has there's something about this woman that he has never seen in any other woman 
and they're making eyes and she's looking and he's looking and and he approaches her and it turns out she wasn't making eyes at T she was making eyes at Chick because Chick was one of her old boyfriends um and she leaves with him which kind of KOs Teague's mood and the rest of his night can't stop thinking about her um not long after Chick pops back up and he's like yo buddy you, you want to help me take care of something and he's okay, you know. Um, turns out Jane stole ten thousand dollars from Chick after the dust settled on their night, and and Chick's gonna have his revenge. Uh, they they get to the uh, Chick knows where she is, so they they enter and with their guns and and it turns out Jane plugs Chick, she kills him, and they got a Mexican standoff between Jane and Teague. They got guns leveled at each other. Um, Teague kind of crumbles. He's he's bitten and um, love is born. She she leaves with him, at, at least on Teague's side of the equation, love is born. Um, so Jane and Teague become a thing. Uh, but unlike Teague, Jane has a taste for the high life, right? <laughs> um, she's like, we should do something big. We should we should do like two three really big jobs and set us up for the entire year. We could just go away and hit the beach and live you know live like a king and queen. We could do this. We can make this happen. So Teague is Im- immediately convinced, and he he follows her lead, and he calls up Tommy Patterson to get to get a new crew together. And longtime readers know where this story's going once that name comes up, Tommy Patterson. Um, but. Tommy drops a bomb. See, Teague, the whole time, was so, his his brain was so addled by this woman, the sex and the beauty and the adventure and the the, the lawlessness that, um, yeah, I know I use that word, that he forgot about Ricky, his own son. That's, and I mean, as much as you may enjoy stories where, you know, the, the bad guy or, 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 the person you shouldn't be rooting for, you're actually rooting for it. As much as you may want to like Teague in all the years of criminal you may have been reading, getting to that page and finding out that, you know, oh shit, I forgot about my son all this time. That kind of tells you yeah, what kind of piece of shit. Well, I mean, when, when the allure of this, this devastatingly beautiful creature is, is within arm's reach of you you know and you you saw the pages the montages they're having fun you know mm-hmm. and it's so i mean again this is almost redundant at this point to say but sean phillips just illustrates the hell out of this book and yeah. the thing that always makes me so damn jealous is he can do the 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 company in the jungle and the shadows and the 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 brutality of of man versus man but then he could illustrate a woman sitting in a bar with a schlub next to her and the eye contact and just this little inflection he puts in her lip or in her eye it's, he's a master of subtlety and i i i can't praise the guy enough yeah i really can't well he's a master of shadow too though yes, i mean like what i mean i mean everybody who reads this in single issues especially knows like these guys know their stuff when it comes to film noir and hard boiled crime, but like he's got the lighting down as good as anybody's had it. Like, and it's just incredible the way he controls all of that, you know? Yeah. So we get to the last page and it turns out that Teague's son, Ricky has been crashing on, um, Tommy Patterson's couch. 
And that's when the darkness falls because the, I think it's the last panel where he says, Teague says, oh, here comes my son to fuck everything up. So you know what's going to happen. You have this, at least I think I know what's going to happen, mm-hmm. but I, I could probably be wrong. You have this love of Teague's life and then you have the appearance of a younger, more virile, more handsome Teague. <laughs> uh, which one is she going to pick? You know, I think there's going to be a, a little soiree between Jane and Ricky. Teague's not going to take too kindly to it, and he's going to go off the rails. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, it's again, it's the beauty that brings down the beast, right? Mm. But it's fact. It's just, you know, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of of noir or, or crime fiction, but, and I say that, as a total hypocrite, because I am. I just never figured out why. There's a romantic component to Criminal that I find just inescapable. It just consumes me when I read it, that I I read about these people that they're beholden to no one but themselves. They set their own hours. They do whatever they want to do. They don't punch a clock they're not their actions are not at the behest of a manager or a boss or you know there's something very free about these characters they this is the the definition of freedom in my book right you do whatever you want yes you're acting outside the boundaries of the law but fuck the law right the the, the law does not dictate what they do if they want something they go take it if they find something of someone of lesser intelligence they con them and they, they, they get what they want. Like, it's just, it, it's like this rootless, um, David said it in the beginning, like this frontier spirit where ev- anything is possible. They can go and do anything they want to do. And I just find that so compelling. Like, I want that. Sure. Yeah, I don't well, want to kill anybody. Well, maybe. I mean, right? Like, well, you at least know, like, no one that's not wearing a red hat. Sure. Yeah. No one wearing a red. Yeah. That not. That's not wearing a red hat. And like yeah. you know, just like the heat of passion. Like you just murder a guy in a red hat. It's fine. Everybody does. Right, but you, um, you, know, you know what I mean? Like to, to just like, I I have to be home in two hours because I have a meeting tomorrow. These people don't have that. Or if they do have a meeting, you know, it's with something that this clandestine thing where they're they're setting up their next gig. You know, and if they're late, they're late. Like it, it's it, there's there's no. Time actually doesn't exist in this universe. Time, sure. well, they I, no, make the time. No, I think you're right, though. Like, I mean, that's sort of the appeal of noir, though, right? In in crime fiction, that's why James Kane and you know and uh, Chandler and Hammett and those guys. I mean, that's maybe they're not doing it on purpose, but that's really what they're capitalizing on, right? Like, yeah. they're so popular. Like those these books are so popular. Like in post-war periods or in wartime periods, like film noir takes off after World War II when people are coming back and taking desk jobs and they don't want to be constrained by the desk job. So what do you escape to? You escape to Pulp Fiction and crime yep. where you sort of like live your fantasies. You're either individualist fantasies or your misogynist fantasies or whatever the case may be or both like they're packaged right into that. I mean, and that's why it comes back to after Vietnam. Everybody's fucking crazy. And doesn't want to be constrained by this and is so distrustful of everything around them, right? Yep. Then Criminal comes out after 9-11 in Bush-era politics. That's not a coincidence. Right. 
you know, like, so, so of course, I mean, that there's a really romantic sort of, you know, like David was saying, and you're saying, you know, that frontier individualist spirit that's embodied in the, the criminal outlaw lifestyle. It's there. It's all there. Yep. I would take a job as a leg breaker. Sure. Why I not? Would. I would. If I could just, you know, like hurt people and not, I mean, it sounds, again, sadistic, but there, there is a component to working outside the law that involves violence, right? Yes. I, you know, who, I don't want to deliver packages. That's boring. But I, I think I could be a leg breaker. I just don't want to kill anybody. And and that's okay. And and that's I've, I'm I'm sitting here and I'm kind of nodding along with you because the way I hear it, the way I think about it is yes. I I'd, I'd like to be a leg breaker. I wouldn't mind being a leg breaker. And my thought process is the person whose legs you're breaking, in my mind, deserve it because they, they welched on a deal for yeah, whatever yeah. reason. Yeah. It's not personal. It's like you're not you're not maliciously going around with a bat just beating on people for no reason. You 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 this is a job. Yeah, but let's be and, let's be honest. They did welsh on a deal, but the stipulations of the deal could have been egregious to begin with. But and yes, not, they it, did yes, agree to absolutely. It. Yeah. Right. But they still but they had they you could just try to justify it or rationalize by saying they had a choice. They didn't have to accept whatever that deal was, if, if they knew they couldn't meet, the, the reason they took it is because either they had it, it, no other choice or they thought it was a good enough deal where they would make out ahead. It's like right. people who gamble, go to Vegas. It's like, chances right. are you're not going to win. If you do great, you may write it out, but, but right. you know, you kind of go in thinking there's a third option though, too. They may have Bridget. considered themselves smarter than the people they were, the people making the deal, and they thought, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm more crafty than these guys. I'll get out of it. You know, so they're, I'm just saying there could be a third aspect to it. Sure. Too. But yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. But, 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 even, but, but the point is they, they got into it. They, right. they, they did this to themselves. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's part of the, that's always part of the point, though, is that the second you think you're smarter than somebody, you're immediately not. Mm. Right. Like, and you're going to face consequences for that because you are an actual idiot and you assume that other people are idiots like that's you're going to pay for that. Right. Like right. that. that's wrong. And there's the there's no truth in this universe other than that, which is reluctantly given like, you know, some you, you've seen the scene where it's like, tell me and beating the crap out of someone. And eventually, under extreme duress, the truth comes out like mm -hmm. love is malleable. Truth is malleable. This is it's it's a world of uncertainty. The only thing that's certain is I'm going to get up in the morning, hopefully, and and do my next job at, at with with whatever kind of stipulations I want to put on it, not someone else and there's nobody dictating my fate other than myself i could be stupid and screw it up and end up dead in a ditch but at least i decided that or you know unknowingly so it was still i'm the still uh, the director of my own actions i love this kind of stuff yeah yep one of the other things i i wanted to um point out too and is one of the uh, one of the things i love about Baker's writing and the way he t I love the way he titles stuff. He's very intentional with his titles. So the Night of the Hunter title is obviously clear. It's not just him hunting, you know, this woman or him imagining himself as a hunter. But, you know, he's clearly referencing the book and the film 
right? Night of the Hunter with um, Robert Mitchum. And then Song of the Siren, I didn't know, but I looked that up, and that, this one, if you didn't know this, David, maybe you did, but uh, that is a a Tim Buckley song, which premiered, I guess, on the Monkees TV show. Um, But that's... But that's interesting too. So, like, he, I love the way that he makes all these pop culture references that don't really, like, they associate with, like, the content of the story in terms of, like, literally. But when you think about, like, what they are actually in reference to, they're a little different, but they still make sense in a certain kind of way. Right. Uh, like, the horror and the tragedy of Night of the Hunter and Song to the Siren is also a really tragic thing, too. I mean, it's a guy who's singing to a siren, right? I mean, that's, that's not going to end up well. Um, so I, I I love those like little flourishes that Brubaker adds in here in the same way that I love the way that Phillips just masters shadow and light and all of those things to make this story really work well. Yeah, it's just and and a siren. You know the the purpose of a siren is to lure seamen to their deaths on the rocks. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right? It's like the old story, um, the with the alligator or the, or a crocodile and the bird. And the, the alligator's like, come on, on my back, I'll take you across the, the water. And the bird's like, yeah. no, you're, I, I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm scared. And he's like, come on, I'll take you on my back. I'll, I'll make sure, you know, you get there. And, um, halfway through the, the alligator eats the bird and he's like, hey, I'm an alligator. Yeah. You know, I, I do what I do. But, yeah. and, and, and I think the, the siren here is obviously Jane, but sure. the, the one of, to Brubaker's credit, Jane's, I mean, yes, Jane is is um, to Teague. She's perfect, but I don't think he's searching for perfect because the one there's one sequence where he wakes up and he finds Jane in a closet, and mm-hmm. and she's she's in the fetal position and she's she's mumbling to herself. And she obviously has some kind of psychological, yeah, something along the line that it, that makes her have these recurring traumatic escapades or i don't know if to, whether to call them dreams it, it's somewhere be, between uh, a, a dream and a seizure like she's speaking but she's clearly out of it and um so and he's like i i, I love her even more because of this because she's she's a flawed beauty he's not looking for perfection he's just looking for someone for him and this is the woman for him but i don't think it's gonna i i, I know it's not gonna end good for t he, she's the woman for him. It doesn't mean he's the man for her. Of course not. I don't and, think there is a man for her. She, no, yeah, she's. It, it's it's complete. No matter how she appears or how she treats you or or, or how you, she makes you feel, she is. There's only one person she's in it for, and she's looking out for. And and looking at the cover of issue seven, um, I don't know if I don't know if that 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 contempt look in ricky's face is because either he's i don't know who he's jealous of i don't know if he's pissed that you know this woman is is taking um time away from him that he could be spending with his father or if he figures you know i i should have that i deserve what dad has or i'm i'm better than you know so it's you know like you said vince it, it could go i i it would be fitting but i hope it isn't that and even if it is kind of that, in, in quotes, simple, you know, Brew is going to write the shit out of it so sure. that, like, you're just still going to be completely blown away. But I, as I'm, it's it's weird. I, we, I, did you read the fade out, Zach? Uh, no. It's on my, it's in my giant Regina pile. Okay. That is literally as tall as me. So it, it's, I, I skip around. 
it's absolutely um, one of the favorite things Vince and I read in recent years that that, oh, that, that. Raker and Phillips did, and I, you know, whether it's when Criminal started or even Marvel Zombies to a degree, but there there's something about, and I I enjoyed you know all the issues leading up to I, I enjoyed the first four issues, but there's something about this particular story where 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 Sean's work is just it's it really is it transcendent. I don't want to say it's cleaner than it usually is, but there's just something it, I don't need, you can't even say polished about something like this, but it's just it 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 looks fresher than I have seen him in 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 recent memory. It, it's just I don't know what and and you still you know he's a great sequential storyteller and and i'm looking at 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 characters faces or even in 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 backgrounds or just you know looking around rooms or telephones things people are are, are using and everything looks fantastic and then i just you know when when i look at like when he's talking to um when when he's explaining you know to her that you know he's got a son i'm looking at like you know I'm looking at Teague's hair or even his face where, you know, there, there's a couple of lines where it was, it was a wider brush and then maybe he kind of just scribbled in, in the eyes or, 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 or the shadows on the cheek. But, but, but I look at, at the hair, I look at everybody's hair and there's just a couple of lines letting you know, you know, yes, this is hair. And the fact that, that Sean, I'm used to the artist doing things like that to, to save time as as the issues go on but not really so much from panel to panel and and it still just looks fantastic even if i'm focusing on something where it's like as much time as he put on this like why couldn't he i don't even want to say why couldn't he put more time in on it It just it's it's the you're supposed to know it's hair it looks like hair that's what he drew and don't focus on that because there's so much other stuff that that he's putting on this on on this page that's just I'm really enjoying the art on this arc more than I don't want to say more than but um for some reason the, these these two issues alone have just blown me away with the artwork on the page. Well, you know, maybe maybe that's a trust though in in Jacob Phillips though in his coloring, right? I mean which I think is outstanding in, in, in works. I mean, that perhaps that's what allows Phillips to be more gestural and minimal in his style, right? Like he trusts the colorist to be able to fill in those things that, you know, allow him to be more expedient and focus on the stuff that, you know, the other sort of dramatic emotional stuff. Or it may also be a, a product of the colorist being in proximity. Like yeah, that's, we don't, you know, he yeah, can I'm be sure right I'm there. Sure. I'm sure he's, he's. I don't know how old he is. I don't know if he lives at home, but I, I'm pretty sure he's closer to 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 getting to see dad than 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 Betty is. Yeah. Um, and then part of me was also thinking maybe it's it's the subject matter because Bad Weekend was fun, especially as a reader. Yeah. But it's like you know, Teague is what started this off for all of us with criminals. So so the fact that they're kind of telling this story and 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 maybe Teague's swan song. Um, Although I doubt it's the last Teague story, but it's I, maybe there's something about the characters that they're going to work on, work with in this story, and and um, maybe that's that's sparking something, and it's completely um, 
me just speculating there. So, yeah, well, that's the beauty of criminal. He could bounce around whenever he wants. Uh, absolutely. You know, he could yeah. tell a, a tale of Teague when he was like fifteen. Yeah. You know. So. So yes, if you haven't gleaned uh, anything from this discussion, you should be reading Criminal, mm -hmm. uh, especially in single issues, because as Zach said, there is a wealth of back matter. Um, I loved the discussion about characters in, yeah. is in issue five; was amazing. Um, and the time, I, I when whenever they have a particularly meaty piece of back matter, I time floats away from me. I don't take note of it. I could just sit there and just devour it. And oh, a half hour went by. I didn't. Hmm. I wasn't aware because I'm so engrossed in the 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 dialogue that they they bring to the back pages. Um, and you also get more Sean Phillips illustrations mm -hmm. to to accompany mm -hmm. the. You really should be reading Criminal and Single Issues. It won't kill yeah. you. Yeah. No, no, it's 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 worth it. Absolutely. Yes. What's funny is um the the shop where and and criminal is like turtles um criminal is one of the books that i have on my pull list so i can get it as soon as it hits the stands and the um the kid who's usually there when i'm there on wednesday nights to pick up my books he um he asked me he's like how is criminal because i think you're the only person we order it for or who has it on their pull list i'm a smack somebody and, really? And I mean, no, because I they, they he'll have an issue or two for the stands, but I'm the only person who has it on the pull list. And um, and I'm like, dude, I'm like, really? You've never? He goes, no. And 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 the shop owner, he wants everybody to, you know, pick something and read it, and and this way they can recommend it, or just kind of maybe go outside your comfort zone a little bit, try something you haven't. So this way you can either suggest it to customers or at least talk about it and. Um, that's smart. And I, I, I told it is, and I, I told, I told the guy, I was like, you know, then absolutely. I says, and what's great about it is, you don't have it, it's, it's a series that's been going on. I mean, we're talking like, you know, it's 2006, and Criminals just been released by Icon, but it, it's, it's one of those things where, say again, um, but you had when, when I was telling him, I was like, what, what's great about Criminals is you can just pick. Grab an arc. I mean, you've got all the trades. It, it's. I mean, you can order the trades, and they're there for you. But I'm like, you can if if you're if you're into Archie at all, or are familiar with the characters. I'm like, you know, there's Lasted Instant. You can just jump in with that. I, what I was telling them is that it doesn't matter when you start with Criminal. There's there's every arc is a great jumping on point. Yeah, there there's things you'll pick up if you've been reading for a while and, and characters are brought back that uh, are new to you, but we've seen before. But yeah, I, I told them, I was like, if, if you're looking for an image book that, um, you know, that's been around a while that you want to be able to, to recommend, I says, then, then absolutely dude, jump on criminal. So yes. hopefully they got another reader. Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's the unique, one of the unique things about criminal too, though, is that unlike a lot of, contemporary comics like you can almost jump in anywhere and be very comfortable like i'm not sure that that's true for most mainstream comics anymore and i'm not sure that that's true i'm certainly sure that that's not true for a lot of independent comics anymore where you can't just jump in anywhere you no. have to start they're designed for you to jump in at a certain point right yeah. that's why they're constantly renumbering criminal is not like that at all 
And I think that that's like one of like the real beauties of it is that you can read any arc and just be fine with it. And if you like it, then you can find out other things. And if you don't like it, then it doesn't matter. You read this one contained thing and you're yeah. fine. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And while we're on the subject, I would be remiss if I did not repeat this. I put it on the Facebook group. Um, but if you have the Amazon Prime, I implore you to watch Too Old to Die Young. Mm, because I it's, started it. It's written. Oh, really? It's written by Brubaker. Yeah. And uh, it's directed by um, NWR, Nicholas Wilding. Um, Reffin? Reffin. Reffin. Yes. Uh, it's it's pretty damn spectacular. And again, mm. it's it's like uh, it's it's a lot like Criminal. In that, um, long story short, a uh, sister of a Mexican, uh, the boss of a Mexican crime cartel is killed, and it was done by a police officer. So the cartel sends a uh, his nephew to take care of business and, and kill the, the cop that, that uh, did the job on his beloved sister. And as this, this cop is, is taking a selfie, the, the guy comes up from behind and plugs him. So his partner, who's not a very his, – his, his name's Martin. He's not a very squeaky clean dude at all. His girlfriend is, uh, let's just say, underage. And um, the uh, – because of the incident, truths come out, and it spirals out of control from there. And, uh, yes, I don't want to say anything else because you guys haven't got to the episode that I'm on. But <laughs> yeah. it, the episodes are long, too. They're like an hour and yes. a half each. And uh, beware, because the, uh, the style of this thing is very different. If you're a fan of David Lynch, you won't have a hard time with it. But if you are... If your bread and butter is is cop procedurals, you know CSI or something like that. Fast and Furious. Yeah, Fast and Furious. Yeah. You are going to be like, oh my god, yeah. speak because the there are huge. <laughs> you could drive a Winnebago. Like listening to me, there's there are. It's yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's yes, they're an hour and a half long, but it will feel like five hours by the time it takes somebody to to from start to finish, have, begin and end the sentence. It's oh really? It yeah. is. It is extremely deliberate. It is. I mean, there are there are times where I thought maybe maybe my stream had paused. It's just no. one of those things where I'm like, I don't. You're gonna I, die. There's one Renee, scene. My my wife will not watch. There's absolutely no way she'll <laughs> just she'll sit there. She'll just be like, take the fucking license. Take the fucking. What are you doing? I mean, yeah. I mean she would be. Living. Oh, you're talking about the girl in the beginning that they pull. Oh over. yeah, you're right yeah, at the start. Yeah, but it's like. Um, but there's one scene later on. It's in a brothel. And it pans hard right, and you see the characters, and then it slowly pans left, right? And, and you see all these characters and what they're doing, and a, a character will walk as the, the camera pans, and he talks to a woman, and then the camera pans all the way back mm -hmm. to the right, and something happens, and then the camera pans again to the left, and I'm like, Oh my God! This is extremely <laughs> decompressed, Ex yep, but I love it. It's just it's it's a it's an exercise in patience. Yeah, it is. It is. Slow the fuck down. Enjoy this 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 world in which you've been immersed. You know, s soak it all in, 
and and you're not going to find an experience like this on on many other um Works which of, of fiction on TV. Rebecca even says that in the back matter. He also yeah. says it's it's pretty much it's a one time thing. So it's 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 not something that probably is going to be attempted anytime soon or um well will be yeah, repeated replicated. Judging by uh, the episode I'm on, I'm 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 pretty certain it's a one time thing. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's and, and there and, and you know, I haven't finished the first episode yet because it I I was watching it and then we got busy, so I had to pause it. But there's not not everything is done to be this slow, just to be this slow. Because there's in, in that first episode as well as as the um, as the brother of the woman who was killed is is talking to his nephew. That's because of his condition. That's not necessarily a conversation you're going to speed through. So right. there are times where it's it's slow because it's 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 almost it's more realistic that way it's just it it feels right there are yeah there are times where it's slow when you want to pull your fucking hair out like when you know two cops just <laughs> standing on the street watching cars go by but you know it's it's you don't know if someone has said something because the conversation because because one sentence ended and you're not sure if there was a question or if he's if he's going to continue and then you hear somebody respond and it's just like that that would like drive me mad in the real world and and but like Vince said it's it's an exercise in patience yeah. and and just you know but but it's phenomenal yeah yeah and it's one of those it, it should be you know with everything else that that's you're being inundated with um either it's self-inflicted or because it's thrust on you there are there are times where it's it's okay to try something and and um and yeah, you don't do with the first episode. I mean, what do, you, what do you have an hour and a half to lose if you just go with the first episode? Right. But um, I, no, I fight. think you need to watch past the first episode. Yeah, yeah. the but, first episode's good, but it doesn't really kick in until I mean the the nuggets of the plot are are uncovered in the first episode. Sure, but you really need to just get accustomed to uh, Reffin's uh, style because yeah. two is where it starts to really get. Deep. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I, I mean, it's, it's weird because it's in this age of, of social media and the swipe, 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 and the click and the click. This show is the, uh, the antithesis of, of current life. Maybe that's why it was created to begin with. Maybe that's why the delivery is so, so stilted and, and extended. I, I don't know, but it's just everything I see on my computer screen, this show is not. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I I oh, think I'm sorry. That's right. I, I no. I, I was just going to say. I think that's right. It's not bland, right? Like oh, no. the early Lynch comparison, I think, is right too. I was just going to say that it's so apt. Yeah, because because that's when when they did the Twin Peaks return. I mean, you could stream it, you could watch it on Showtime, but like you couldn't skip ahead, you couldn't binge. You have to be <laughs> yes. patient, and you have yeah. to slow down and be deliberate about your actions and watching it and. I think that that's something that's really lost. And I think that it, frankly, I think it ruins a lot of otherwise good things when you are encouraged to speed through them. Right. In some kind of way. And like, but that's, that goes for comics too. Oh, I think that's true too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's absolutely true. Oh yeah. Yeah. For Twin Peaks fans, if, um, if you can, I'm sure you recall season two, episode one, Cooper's on the on the floor of the the hotel room, shot, 
And the old man with the tray mm-hmm. keeps walking in front of the door and asking him, you know, you need anything? And the old man walks away and you hear the feet shuffling back and he comes back to the door and he's talking to Cooper. And that scene, that opening scene of Twin Peaks season two, episode one, where Lynch said he could actually hear the television sets being turned off. Mm-hmm. That is the entirety of, of Too Old to Die Young. That's exactly how yeah. these, these scenes play out. They're very, very yep. deliberately paced. And this, like, was this show created for Amazon? I mean, it, it's an Amazon original. Like, was yeah, it anywhere I think so. else? Or so? It, and it's it's new this year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And okay. the only way I would know about it is from I, criminal. I read the back pages of Criminal. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They're not promoting this thing at all. And he didn't even and and he didn't even lead the back matter with that. He, no. he starts talking about like you know other things he's read, and he's like, oh, by the way, if you have Prime, you might want to check. It's like, dude. Way to bury the lead. I'm like, it's, seriously, it's, and it is. Yeah, no, it's it's great, and it's weird because, um, I don't mean to. I, I don't. I want. I want to hear what Zach's been reading. But there's one of those seriously. things where um, I I've realized I realized last weekend because we were um, we were scrolling through Hulu and. I stopped on, or my wife asked, you know what. What the hell's kick ass? So I played the trailer and she's like, Oh, we should watch this. And I kind of I, I, I puckered up a little bit and, and I'm like, Really? I'm like, all right. I'm like, no, that's fine. That's fine. What? No, I mean it's cool. It's like, hey, listen, if she wants to watch something like this, I am not going to, you know, I'm I'm not going to turn away from it. I'm like, okay, I'll I'll take one for the team. I don't give a shit. Like, you know, listen, we're hanging out, we're gonna watch a movie, it's gonna be great. Um I'm sure substances were involved that made everything better. So there's one of those things where we're watching it and I am really hand to crumb. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it a lot more than I ever expected to based on the trailers I saw when it was announced. And, and because I've read the first couple issues of the comic, I was like, I just knowing how I'd want to read, I'd want to watch this movie, but because I, I'm now watching it. And I'm like, this is like, it's. I'm amused in certain parts, and and I'm I'm taking it for what it is, and and how over the top and exaggerated some things are, and I'm just I'm enjoying it, like I said, for what it is. Whereas when I read the comic, it it wasn't. I mean, I was close to being offended, but it, it, I was just like, why I I I'm not enjoying this. I, I this isn't. This isn't something I'd like to spend my time with, so so I stopped, and and it just it was another Miller comic book for me, and I was like, I don't know why, you know, for me to Junior would bother with this, and but whatever. So after watching Kick Ass, and then remembering how I enjoyed Wanted, and how I enjoyed Kingsman, I'm like, I when when Miller's work is adapted to a movie that's kind of where that's where it shines that's he, he's his, his his comic books and with the netflix deal it's kind of been proven but his comics are pretty much just ideas pitches storyboards launch pads for them to be adapted and and i've enjoyed basically this is me just saying i enjoyed his movies more than i enjoyed his comics although i did i did dig the kingsman comic and and Gibbons did a great job illustrating that, and the movie was 
different than than the comic book. But wanted, I never cared for the comic at all. I didn't, I didn't like Jones's art. I didn't like the fact that I was hit in the face with Eminem on every page, and and it was just. But the movie, I can watch the movie pretty much any time, and and as, as stupid as the movie is, but I, you know, I never thought. I'd be on this podcast saying I enjoyed Kick-Ass, even if it is the movie, but still. But yeah, it's one of those things where I, I may not be a big fan of, of some of Miller's comic book work. And and I'm not. I, I enjoy Red Sun. I enjoy his Wolverine run. I don't care for Old Man Logan. Um, yeah, I enjoyed some of his image stuff, uh, but not all. And, and, you know, so he's... I don't, I don't avoid Mark Miller, but I, I've soured on him to a degree over the years, but, but for me to actually enjoy the movies that are based on, on his work, I, it's weird that it took kick-ass to do that because I have enjoyed other stuff by him, but it, it was just as like something that I can't believe I, that I didn't want to see exist as a comic, but I can actually enjoy as a movie. It just kind of, it, I, I, I guess I matured in that, you know, 88 minutes or whatever, but it was just, it was weird. Well, but I yeah, think I, I the moral of this story is entertainment is much better when shared. That's true. I that's, would that, agree with that. That's why we do this podcast. That's why when a movie comes out, the socials are ablaze with, with comments back and forth. When, I mean, book clubs, um, mm-hmm. when it, when a record drops and, and, you know, people start, everything is better when you share it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it, it, it may cause you to rethink a position on a piece of art. You may come to the same conclusion, but at least the the another v- a voice outside of your sphere causes you to revisit this this work. And, you know, it, it, you wouldn't have done that without that voice. So, yeah, I think entertainment's much better when it's a communal experience. Movie theaters, like, come on. You can watch yeah. a movie alone in in your your living room. You, you you'll enjoy it. You may love it, but you will never get the same experience as watching that movie with a bunch of people. Yeah, or even even a small number of people though that you feel close to or some kind of kinship. Sure, with, right, right, right. Like right. like I went and saw Midsummer with a couple of friends of mine, and if I went and saw that by myself, I, I still would have loved it. But that I saw it with two people who were already like really invested in that kind of movie made it so much better. Sure. Yeah. 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 We are not islands. No, I, I think right. that's true. Yeah. So why don't you tell us what you're reading there? Okay, so let's let's uh let's keep the crime train going because I love crime stories in film noir and all that kind of groovy stuff. I'm really that. I'm really fascinated by the darkness. It's interesting to me. And the weirder the better. Um, but what I read for the show was not super weird. Um, I read uh, the first two issues of Drawing Blood, uh, which is the Kevin Eastman. Aww. Yes, nice. nice. David, David Avalon and Ben Bishop uh, comic. And I had I had a handful of other things. I was like, oh, I've, I've been reading this and I want to talk about this. But then I'm I was like doing like you know, memory research or whatever is like, well, they already talked about Green Lantern and they already talked about, um, oh, fucking, what was the other thing I read? Um, 
sea of stars and you know so it's like let's let's talk about something they haven't talked about yet and since we were talking about criminal i thought well this is kind of fits vaguely within sort of the crime thing right um so this is two issues in um if folks haven't read this or they don't know a whole lot about it it's partially autobiographical right about kevin eastman's life um post ninja turtles and i think it's really interesting the art itself um is a mixed bag it's two or three different artists working on this um depending on how you want to see it eastman uh provides the sort of flashback stories where he's drawing um the flashback stories for the artist in the uh story who is an analog for himself and then there's a primary artist and then there's a third artist who does some more of the real um the more memory dream sort of surrealist type things um so more or less, the thrust of the story is is a cartoonist who made a lot of money selling his idea uh, more than a decade ago um, is has fallen on hard times because when he was in his 20s and early 30s and he had a lot of money, he spent all that money candying up his nose and on ill-advised business ventures. I mean, this is the Kevin Eastman story, right? Um, but then... Uh, his, one of his heroes and business partners dies, and uh, when that p- business partner has died, um, he, uh, the Kevin Eastman analog, finds out that he was in deep for over two million dollars to the Lithuanian mob, and that is Lithuanian is funny enough, I guess. Um, <laughs> And, they, and there's jokes about that, that the Lithuanians are the up-and-comers in sort of like the mob marketplace. Um, they're they're, they're going to be the next – they're going to be the new hotness. It's the <laughs> that's, that's where we gotta, really got to focus our attention and send all of our bitcoins is to the Lithuanians. They're coming up. Um, so once you turn your coins to bits, send them to the Lithuanians. <laughs> anyway, um, so it's it's pretty interesting so far. Uh, he's trying to sort of negotiate with these Lithuanian mobsters about uh, the $2 million that his former partner owed them, and now they believe that he owed them. And he's also trying to navigate a stage play that is just in, completely in shambles. And, of course, through uh, sort of the casting process, he meets a woman that he is, you know, um, incredibly attracted to and is trying to sort of – there's a romantic plot there. I mean, it's very – I mean, it, it, it is a crime story. I mean, it's more or less a noir story. Um, although, if I'm being really frank about it, it's not as deftly handled as a Brubaker crime story. Right. Um, and, and, and that's okay. It doesn't have to be. I'm not asking it to be that. Um, but he's certainly aware of, of those sort of tropes, right, as he sort of translates his personal experience into this fictionalized world. Um, the cartoonist in the story, of course, has created a, um, a group of, I can't even remember, but it is three uh, cat samurai. Radically all- rearranged Ronin ragdolls. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. And they're all named after, um, they're all named after great uh, Japanese uh, cartoonists and comic artists. So Otomo, um, Miyazaki and Tezuka yep. are the names of the characters, right? So, which which I thought is a really nice sort of flourish to the story. Um, and there's a few other moments in it too where it's you know where it's very obviously autobiographical for people who've read anything about the turtles. I mean, a lot of it is obviously autobiographical, but there's nice nods in there where uh, 
this character and his brother uh, books. He's arguing with his brother about sort of like the the tone of their early comics about whether it should be more Kirby or more Miller and, and that sort of thing, which is a nice. I, I thought I thought a really nice touch. Yep. Um, and when Eastman uh, takes over and he's drawing sort of this remembrance of his past or the character's past, um, I, I I really appreciate it and I like it. And you know, it's it's Kevin Eastman drawing, and I love Kevin Eastman's art mm. um, for for good or for ill. Um, so this is anyway. So that's sort of like the overall sort of view of it. And um, you know, two issues in to what. I'm guessing is going to be at least nine issues, nine or 12 issues based on the um, back matter. Uh, I, I was really attracted to this. I was drawn to this. I, I enjoy it. Um, I like the crime angle. I like that it's semi autobiographical. Um, I think it works on a lot of different levels. Uh, not the least of which is the fact that, you know, for someone who's been reading turtles comics for a long time and, and watching a lot of Andy Sidaris movies and knowing that, you know, and seeing Kevin Eastman in those Andy Sidaris movies with Julie Strain and what have you, um, this just feels good. It feels welcoming. It feels reassuring to read. It's comfortable. Uh, yeah, it's very comfortable. Yeah. yeah. But not but not in a way where I feel too safe, though, if sure. that makes any kind of sense. Like, no, it, it feels it's, it's comfortable, but it's comfortable for me to read it because I at least believe I know a lot of the references that he's making. Um, but it also feels very vulnerable in a weird way. Uh, maybe not a weird way, but it, it, it certainly feels vulnerable because Kevin Eastman is drawing on so much of his personal life and, you know, being at least not probably not critical enough, but at least mildly critical of some of the poor decisions he's made mm-hmm. um, post uh, post turtles and you know and selling the rights and that sort of stuff and there's a really wonderful sequence um i can't remember if it's in the first or second issue i'd have to look but i'm not going to do that because that's not good radio um <laughs> but he there's 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 this really there's this really wonderful sequence where he it's a dream sequence and he is confronted by his characters and they sort of call him out for selling them out and selling them off and all of those things. And that was a moment in the comic that felt very real and yeah. very, um, you know, like I said, vulnerable. And I, and I really appreciated that as, you know, as sort of not just a mode of storytelling, but also, you know, like one of those things we were talking about with criminal war, it just feels like this is, there's something, there's something happening here that is, you know, about, personal experiences and trying to sort of, you know, beat your head against the, you know, sort of the capitalist wall or beat your head against sort of the superstructure of the social wall and be, you know, completely and totally on your own. And that you kind of, you know, if you're going to have the kind of success that Eastman and Laird had or that this character had, like you have to give up that sense of, individuality right like that you can't own this thing anymore you have to give it into not just like the sort of the the lattice of consciousness right like you have to like you have to give yourself up like you can't be a part of it anymore and that felt really real to me and really and made the story i guess much more compelling um than it had been up to that point um 
so so I'm glad that I'm reading this and I'm going to, you know, obviously I'm going to stick with it and sort of finish it out. But um, it's it's I think it's a fascinating comic just two issues in and I'm glad that Eastman's doing it artistically. I think that um, the Eastman stuff is great. The the other pages, the main story is very good. It's you know, but it's not um, just to be perfectly frank and not because Dave is our friend. But I really wish Dave would have drawn this instead. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think, I think because this, at its core, is a sort of mobster crime story, uh, a cartoonist sort of mobster crime story. I think it needs somebody that has a really that is not just very now. That is not very. That is not sort of tapped into what is expected of comic book artists. I think it's somebody I think it requires somebody that's really tapped into what you need to tell a great crime story and someone that understands how to sort of do washes and that sort of thing. Right. right. Um, you need a bygone artistic sensibility for this thing. Yeah. You, you don't need yeah. fountain fills and Photoshop and you need a rock solid drawing ability and yeah. like a, a like a Tothian approach to I to yeah. shadows and 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 blocking out the scene and just getting all the compositions dead on. It seems to me like I think I was enthralled with these two issues too. And did yeah. you read the one shot too with the? I did not. I did not read the one shot yet. It's cute. Yeah. I mean, it adds to to the to the mythology. But it's it's cute. You, you you didn't really need it, but I'm glad they published it. Sure. Yeah. Um, but where was I going with this? Oh, um, the the I think. I agree with everything you said. I think the Eastman stuff's great. The non-Eastman stuff is good enough. Yeah. But I think this would have been catapulted a couple uh, notches higher had it been uh, drawn by a seasoned artist uh, yep. capable of, of bringing more life to the panels than what was on the page here. Yep. I, yeah. I No, I, I think that's absolutely true. And that was... I mean, to be honest, that was as I was reading this and I was thinking about stuff to bring to the show tonight. Like that was my one hesitation is I didn't want to be overly negative. But like, I mean, I just I don't think it's I don't think that the art is bad. It's just I feel like it's workmanlike mm-hmm. and um, it, and it gets the job done. But I, I really wish that there was somebody that had a better. I mean, Toth is a great way to put it. I just wish there was somebody that had a better command of light and shadow. And did not need to lean on a lot of other things. And I'm not saying that um, David Ad- Avalon necessarily needs to lean on other stuff. But for this kind of story, it just needs something extra. It needs something a little bit different. Right, right. Um, but fortunately for the comic itself, I mean, I think the story is really compelling and really interesting. Um, and I kind I don't know how you feel about this, but I kind of get the feeling that because there is that at least um, assumed layer of fictionality to all of this, that it, it allows Kevin Eastman to say to say things he might not otherwise say, right? Um, because he can sort of mask that behind, you know, like, well, I'm just making this up for the story. Right. But the reader doesn't know which parts of this story are truth and which are fiction, and I think right. he wants it that way. Yeah, it, 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 as he should, um, and, and that makes perfect sense to me. But there are moments when he's arguing with his brother, 
about sort of the trajectory of their their co-creation um and him constantly having having to correct people that he co-created that those characters i mean that feels really real yeah you know like too real um i mean you and i i mean you and i and david and the listeners know we all know that like that's not exactly the trajectory of what happened with the turtles but when you hear these things said out loud or you read these things and like, well, that sounds like a real conversation right. that that happened between Eastman and Peter Laird. Right. I'm always struck whenever I see a, a current photo of, of Kevin because my mind goes back to when I when I first met Peter and, and Kevin um, at the I think it was like 85. Mm hmm. There was a light behind Kevin's eyes. He was extremely enthusiastic. He was almost Rob Liefeld-esque. Like, he was just in the moment. And, yeah, this thing's going great. Yeah. You you can't wait to see what we have coming up. And then you look at him now, and there's, like, a, a weariness to his eyes. Like, like the world has chewed him up a little bit and just, like, gagged on him, you know? Sure. And it just – it it's a um, – a cautionary tale of of success like he had it all at one time yeah yeah Be- uh, millions of dollars a beautiful woman blah 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 and then uh it went the way of the the tundra well and if you be- <laughs> and if, if you be- <laughs> that's that's cute that was yeah. good uh that but and if you believe the way that sort of events are depicted in the story i mean a lot of those, you know, it didn't just go the way of the, you know, it went the way of the tundra, but, you know, he crammed it up his nose. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's more, much more real than not, you know, and, and, and I think that that, I think that that draws some, draws attention to something that I think is really important for, for us, you know, reading comics and thinking about this stuff that a lot of these people that found this success not only was it completely and totally random in those early days like Eastman and Laird and like Dave Sim you know and that sort of whole sort of pantheon of people in the early in the early and mid 80s like they're also incredibly young Mm -hmm. and of course they don't know what to do with this success and of course they don't know what to do with this money and of course they don't know what to do with their intellectual property like okay fine like they heard bad stories about the ways in which Wally Wood and Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby and, um, you know, on down the line and Bill Everett and whoever were completely and totally screwed by the corporate superstructure of Marvel and DC. Fine. Yep. They heard that, but that doesn't mean they know how to handle it. Right. You know, and um, this story as a sort of insight into comics history and as a sort of, a sort of you know working into something that is ultimately a crime story and about the same things that criminals about about not really being able to live your life um because you're constantly trapped by some broader superstructure is really interesting to me yeah same and and um and that eastman is you know really largely in creative control of this i think is important and valuable and also worth noting that it's not at idw and it's not at some other major publishing house. It's through this KES or whatever that they're publishing it through. Kevin Eastman Studios. Think, yeah, right. Yeah. But I mean, but I mean that that it's that far off of the plane of mm-hmm. what we of what most people consider to be independent comics, right? Right. Like that's 
worth making note of. Um, and if you hold the covers of these comics up to the sun, you could probably destroy an entire tree because <laughs> they're, 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 they are. there's more lacquer they are or varnish sheeny. on the covers of these things than, than the average table in a chicken wing joint. It's thick it was, as I hell. Thought, I thought they were plastic. You <laughs> <laughs> thought they were plastic. Like, and... And I was I was reading them, and I set them down next to the kitchen sink as I was reading because I was they're, they're waterproof. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, was still, I was filling up a sippy cup for the baby, and I'm like, oh, it's fine. Don't worry about it. I used it. I used it as a drying mat. It's insane. It's just <laughs> all right. Yeah, and I'm I'm enjoying it very much. I, I can't wait till David reads it. Yeah, and yeah, I need to get I, on. I, I I think it's I think it's well worth a read for a lot of different reasons, but at bare minimum, the story itself is quite good. Yes. So. There's that. So that's what I read for you guys. Nice. And I read, I read another thing too, if we have time, but I'll talk about that probably in, in, in your Fine. travels. Oh, we're going to have time. We're going to have lots of time. I have all the time. David, you want me to, to drop a little science before we tag team on that thing that we yeah. read? Yes, mm. go ahead. Drop some all science. Right. Um, I, full disclosure I'm not a huge Ghostbusters fan. Okay. I really? I know oh, it's I know it's really? beloved. It's it's beloved and and all that, but I I enjoyed the first movie. Second movie is a travesty. Okay, whatever. Um, we haven't said anything wrong yet. But when IDW solicited the Transformers Ghostbusters, I'm very much enjoying the current new era of of Transformers books. So I said, "What the hell? I'm in." All right, written by Eric Burnham, art by Dan Schoening, and colors by Luis Antonio Delgado. And boy, was I happy when after I read that first issue because it's it's much better than it has any right to be. Um, it's a smart storyline. It, it begins at the end of the Cybertronian Civil War. The Autobots, you know, they leave Cybertron. They fled. Um, Megatron and the Decepticons, they plan on chasing them and eradicating the Autobot scum, but they don't get that far because they're stopped in their tracks by the arrival of Gozer the Traveler in cyber, in Cybertronian form. The, the punky haired chick that played Gozer in the, the, in the first movie, they, took some creative license and they used all that bubbly kind of stuff on her and they they created a female transformer that looks like the woman kind of looks resembles the woman from the first transformers that was gozer the traveler and she's flanked by two cyber hellhounds now it sounds kitschy i know and it kind of is and and the platform that um, the Decepticons meet this Gozer the Traveler looks a lot like the top of the apartment building in the first Transformers movie, but that's okay. I, I'm cool with that, right? So this uh, the Traveler is vastly overpowered, um, dispatches the Decepticons in like two seconds, and Megatron's like, fuck this. Walks up, walks up to her, and he's like, what what do you want? And she's like, choose. Make choose the manner by which your world will be destroyed. And he doesn't even open his mouth and she says, You have chosen. 
And he's like, what the hell? I, I didn't say anything. Well, like the first Transformers movie, like Ray, someone had a thought, and it was Starscream. And Starscream <laughs> imagines himself in full coronation oh, with the, with the crown. He's got a, a, a chain around his neck with severed heads, um, uh, Megatron's heads on there, Optimus, Shockwave, and, Tran- and Cybertron is destroyed by this gigantic coronation Starscream. <laughs> so uh, we cut to the arc speeding through space, and they pick up a, a Cybertronian signal emanating from this planet and they're like what what is this well um the planet is earth and they send one of their own to check it out and the bot's name is ectronomous diametron this is his first appearance in transformers continuity although there was a toy made it was called ectotron it was only released to like very limited release gamestop or whatever um and uh Diametron is a scientist who is very particular about the manner by which he is addressed. If you call him Eck, he will call you out. He will remind you that he's worked very hard to get where he's got gotten, and his name is Ectronomous Diametron, not Eck. Bumblebee made the mistake of doing it. He feels that it just lacks respect, right? So hmm. so they send uh Ectronomous down to check out this this signal on Earth, um, where the Ghostbusters in Brooklyn they're doing their thing, and it's the animated Ghostbusters. It's not Bill Murray and and you know it's it's the 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 hot, very stylized animated versions, which I think is appropriate for this, right? Animated Transformers meet animated Ghostbusters. It works. Um, they're in Brooklyn doing their thing. They're trapping ghosts. They got the trap out. They, yeah, they get the ghost, blah, blah, blah. And they're visited by another ghost, the ghost of Starscream. <laughs> so they shoot the, the Muon trap under Starscream and they friggin' capture Starscream in the ghost trap. And Ectronomus is doing his little scanning mode. He scans the place searching for a suitable vehicle in order to blend in. And what do you think was the first vehicle he encountered? We are talking Ghostbusters. Oh, the uh, the Ecto One. He scans yeah, sure. the Ecto One. So Ectronomus Diametron transforms into the Ecto One. It is freaking brilliant. It's I, I loved everything about this. The art is is just super slick, which I expect from Transformers, right? Uh, I just thought it was wonderful. It was wonderful brain candy. It, it kicked in those chemicals that made me remember how much I love Transformers. Now they're paired with a franchise that, you know, not so beloved with me, but I, I, I can dig it, especially when they do something as conceptually sound as making a Transformer into the Ecto-1. I love this thing. It's a miniseries. I think it's a five-issue miniseries. I'm down for all of them. And all the covers interconnect. It's great. Mm. I loved it. The... Like you said, with the animated Ghostbusters, the animated, that's that's why I think that that definitely helped me enjoy the Star Trek Transformers because they used from Star Trek, the animated series, right. those characters, the way that looked with the Transformers from the cartoon. Yeah. And, and it, uh, yeah, it's it, when you when you view it that way, when you look at it through that lens, it's it's not 
preposterous. It's not oh, so conceptually. It's in the zone, but I'm yeah. not. I'm not looking for logic with with a meeting well, no, between. I, you know, if it's a comic book featuring Ghostbusters and Transformers. Yeah, yeah I think you kind of have to take a little bit of a leap. Yeah, but I mean, if you visit uh, our website, 11oClockComics.com, you will see preview pages from this comic and everything else we talk about tonight. So go to the episode thread, 618, click on it, and you'll see this gallery will pop up, and you can look at everything we're talking about here. Mm. Yeah, I just, I, I was gaga. I finished, I, I, I closed the back cover, and I'm like, holy shit, I've really enjoyed that. I almost rarely say that, like out loud. You know, I'll think it to myself, but I was like, hot damn, this was good. This was good stuff. Good, good. Yeah. I'm easy to please when it comes. I mean, you guys know this. You put Transformers in something, I'm I'm very easy to please. And this was, his, okay. it was the sweetness. Okay. Yeah, I guess so. Um, and I'm not going to say um, guilty pleasure because that's ridiculous. I don't say that. You, you, I don't you, use that. I, I just have pleasure. And this was nothing but. Yeah. So, uh, David and I, luckily, oh, I'm so glad you read this. We, um, <laughs> I, I made a gamble. I said, uh, mm. I'm, I'm going to pare down my single issue purchases because, um, at the end of the day, $2 and change is still too much to pay for a single issue in my, in my opinion. There are exceptions. Criminal. Yes, I've, I've gone down that list many, many, many times. Yeah. yeah. But um, so I'm, I'm trying to whittle away at the, the, the detritus of my order because I can always get it in collected edition later down the line. But I made a gamble and I said, okay, I really enjoyed the Matt Fraction, Jimmy Olsen chapter of the Leviathan <laughs> Rising special. And I said, if this is what the ongoing or the the, the maxi series is going to be like, I'm down because I thought that it was brilliant. Um, Steve Lieber's cartooning was amazing. Um, unfortunately, in this Jimmy Olsen number one, there's no deck star as there was in the the, the, <laughs> the you know well, not yet at least but yes, right yeah. right Leviathan mm-hmm. Rising. But um, so Jimmy uh, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen number one, written by Matt Fraction, illustrated by Steve Lieber. With color art by Nathan Fairbairn. I thought it was an impeccable first issue. Yeah. Yes. You know, you know who else loved this, and I just talked to him about it last night, is Senior Will Pfeiffer. I knew it. That's awesome. I done knew it. It's, and I just haven't read it yet, but I will. Okay. It's not an anthology, but it is broken into the storyline is broken into chapters, which is great. And it starts, it starts, it starts <laughs> um, very early in Metropolis history, back when it was known as uh, New Oberstrad. And Fraction's trying to establish in continuity that the Olsen family, and it's O L S S E N initially, the Olsen family was crucial to the formation of metropolis and the the first story has jimmy's great 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 grand something joaquin olsen and he's fighting for um and losing a land claim with with one of luther's ancestors it's a it's like what a two-page story or yeah. It's, yeah it's very short and then you get a brief rundown of the olsons after which um fraction plants a seed there's this tug of war going on in metropolis over a statue 
the monarch of Metropolis. It's a giant lion. And, and, and Luther's family built the damn thing, but Luther wants it gone. And the mayor and Jimmy and others, and they want this thing to survive as a symbol um, for like the, the strength of the city, the courage of Metropolis. It's a lion. Every, every symbolic key that goes with lions, that's what they want this thing for. And they also want it because they've made tons of merch to sell with the, <laughs> with the lion on it. So if there's no lion, there's no merch, right, to sell. So um, Luther wants this thing gone. And then it segues into Jimmy in space. I mean, it's Jimmy Olsen. This is brilliant. Jimmy in space. And he, at the behest of a reader, he's going to fling himself out of a space shuttle without a parachute, though I hesitate to think what a parachute would do if you're falling from space. It's going to be just as useless as if you didn't have one. But anyway, so, so he flings himself. Well, no, I'm getting ahead of myself. He's, the plan was to inject Jimmy with stem cells taken from Metamorpho. Star Labs is in on this thing too. They took stem cells from Metamorpho and they, they kicked them with a little bit of, of, uh, lizard dna and uh, at the hopes of i don't know what um but they injected him a little too early and he starts transforming on the space shuttle and he he's falling and he's transforming into this turtle looking thing his space suit is shredding and so who comes to save the day but superman but and this is where i'm like okay maybe fraction likes a depowered superman i don't know but Superman races to save Jimmy, and Jimmy is the velocity at with at which Jimmy is plummeting towards the earth, thirty-two feet per second, um, per second. And so Superman's having a hard time slowing him down, which I sounds like okay, I'll believe Matt. Like, well, he should I, have I no trouble. He doesn't want to completely stop Jimmy, or else he'll break his neck. He needs to. But yes, you're right. I would think <laughs> Did Superman you know, Jerry Conway write this? Bit. Yeah. So so Superman's all sweaty and shit and he's trying to ugh, he's trying to stop stop Jimmy and wouldn't you know it on reentry he slows him down but not enough to stop them from careening into the monarch of Metropolis and the statues destroyed much to Luther's glee, right? And then there's fallout from this event because Jimmy does all these outlandish outrageous things and it's costing the planet a lot of money in insurance fees like everything that he does is at the risk of life and limbs so the planet's like this is costing us and i forget the woman that's now publisher of the planet the one that was in the leviathan special that i didn't know who she was the oprah looking woman she's the the new publisher of the planet and she's like we can't be doing this we're losing money and it uh one of the tech guys reminds Perry and this woman, IT Mike, IT Mike they, he reminds them that, all right, look at this. Jimmy is the only thing that's making money for the planet. And Perry was all pissing vinegar going in. But once he heard that, he's like, oh, my boy, you just keep <laughs> doing what you're doing. You know, just make them silly videos and send them out. And, you know, because print media is dead and nobody buys physical anything anymore. And Jimmy's kicking up all this dust with these viral videos and and expo and things that he does so he's he's generating revenue so they want to keep him but they don't necessarily have to keep him in metropolis they send him to Gotham City 
and man the the Steve Lieber do a great job of um juxtaposing the brilliance and the light of Metropolis with the gloom and the dark and the decay of of uh, Gotham City cuz Jimmy's room is there's this run down um just pay by the day hotel he's living in there's bats in the in that come in the windows it's a it's a shit it, anything he does defaults to all his possessions being given to the 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 uh the guy that runs the place if if you get you know if you get shot all your stuff's mine if you if you you know so whatever and uh last there's a cliffhanger of sorts um last page jimmy's looking at a, a tear sheet from the 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 planet and it says you know jimmy olsen murdered so we don't know how obviously it was a ruse they they may have um you know thrown together this fake death of jimmy to get him out of the picture but that wouldn't doesn't make sense because then how does it generate revenue for the planet if he doesn't do any more work for them i don't know how it's going to work but it's a da, da, da. he's looking at his own obituary in a sense and i i, I thought I mean, it was a meaty read. It takes a good while to read this thing. It's a lot of work. Yeah, and I, I was I was captivated. I thought I yeah. am one hundred percent so happy to hear that. Because Why you like I it? Wasn't, I, I no, I'm I'm not. I shouldn't be surprised. But there are. I know how you know. You'll. I would expect you to enjoy this more in another six or seven years when you finally write it then you know you're reading it now oh, i as, see where you're going happens. with this <laughs> um no you know what it reminds me of there was a period in dc history when they realized that the publisher across the street had them beat so they were trying anything and everything didn't matter how outlandish let's do sword and sorcery what the hell let's do uh, another mystery book let's do another horror book let's let's have kirby do all these first issue specials that you know they're so whacked out let's just let's just try shit there there was a a devil may care attitude at dc for a while once they realized that they had either you know, they had to try something because the other guy had them disturbingly beat so that's what this book feels like to me. It feels like that that's period awesome. in, in DC history where it was just like anything goes. Why not? It definitely does. And and what also reminds me of the DC days is that just like back in the Silver Age when you would have two or three stories, yeah. standalone stories in an issue, you had the way, the way Fraction breaks this up where, you know, we start with – Joaquin Olsen, and then we have Superman's problem, Jimmy Olsen, with the <laughs> pal who fell to Earth in the Iron Maiden font. And, yep. and oh, every, I had the devil horns. I was like, yes. <laughs> every every chapter is its own little standalone thing with the bow tie ending, letting you know, you know, it's the end of, of this yep. book. And, you know, Lieber tweaks his art somewhat a little bit um, with each chapter, but you can still tell it's him. And and there's that, that, that one page where... Um, Leon, the publisher, is is standing there, and and Perry whisks Jimmy away, and and Leon oh. turns to Clark, and he winks at the fucking reader, and yes. he's still posed at the top of the next yes, page. Yes, that it's is, like, yeah, dude, okay. that's the image I for this episode. It. I I have I was, it ready. <laughs> that was the one panel. I, I was going to get to that. That's the one panel. It's like Clark, what the fuck are you doing? Who are you looking at? <laughs> 
yeah. turned eight, and he's still fucking and, doing and she's, it. And she's like, Smallville. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. I, and then I, the, the, the Harvey P. Carr-looking landlord yep. over here telling Jimmy, you know, what to, to close the coitons and, and make sure, you know, you don't get moited. Don't and, get moited. Uh, it's... <laughs> But yeah, it, it's um, it was a fantastic first issue. This and I mean, I don't, I, I don't want Vince to have to bring the room down. We won't get into Lois Lane, but I, I, I really enjoyed okay. the the two issues, the the two series that have spun out of the um, Little Leviathan special, and uh, and, and they both could not be more opposite if if uh, if the creators tried. It's um, yes, exactly. I don't know if I said it on on during the show or was it a exclusively a slack thing but they were talking about about lois lane and chris loved it oh and, he said it on facebook that he loved yeah, it. yeah. He, he, well not in the slack but he, he said on facebook he loved it so i said okay chris has good taste I'll, I'll see what's up with this thing and and the fact that it was written by rucka the fact that chris liked it so much was not a surprise because rucka is chris's boy so i read it and i was like I can't fault the presentation. I think the the story is 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 a very good use of the character. The dialogue was great. The um I I I I was very respectful of what Rucka did, but I can't read another issue. I I don't want this stuff like that and I don't want the stuff in the real world in my yeah. damn comic books. No, I and and I and that was my once I mean during the Again, with the special, I wasn't really expecting it to go there because this was very much um, it, the way the world is right now. Yes, and, and yes. Battered. I don't and, need a reminder how fucked exactly, up this country which is. Which is right, which is why as, as much as I enjoyed Mike's Lil Donnie, that, that couldn't win my webcomic that year because I, I need an escape from that. And it's it's um, Lois Lane is definitely very much that. And you know, if if this was during the Triangle era, then you know, we'd we'd think it'd be so insane if they wanted Lex Luthor to be a president just like the way the guy who currently has the title is. And we think, you know, well that shit would never happen. It's a comic book that, that this works here in this story. But here we are years later and, and this is real life and, and for Lois to kinda of, and I, my Everything you said positive about the issue, Vince, I agree with completely. Where I, where it loses me a little bit is that Lois Lane would be a White House reporter, and and that you know the, the setup was cool and all, and and I'm in you know for 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 the twelve issues at least it looks like for now, but um, she's relentless. Why, why wouldn't she her, function good as a White House reporter? Well, she but but that's that's she's. She's an investigative journalist. Not, the, I mean, yes. If if you're a White House reporter, if, if if you're part of the press pool, that's that's pretty big doings. But but Lois has never struck me as someone who is strictly just to bring down the government. And 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 she's never. It's I'm I'm coming. I'm trying not to say that me viewing Lois Lane as a White House press reporter. Is beneath her. I think she's she's beyond that at this point. She's that that's not that's not what I picture Lois Lane to be. And and it's it, I appreciate everybody who who does have to go through that because especially these days. But 
it's I don't I don't see Lois Lane in acquisition. And and as far as the setup for this story goes, if she had fed these questions or or this and and not that Lois is ever really in a rush to to share the byline, but if she had given her 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 secrets to the actual Daily Planet press pool White House reporter, um, that may have enhanced the story a little bit for me uh, as far as setting things up. But you know, this everything that happened in this issue um, was done to to further the story, and 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 I'm there. It was it was it was almost like you know these are how many pages we have and this is the story we're going to tell so this is how we have to start it and we need to get here by the end of this issue so this is how we're going to do it um, I don't want to say logic be damned but there there are just some things that I think could have in order to get to where we were I thought there could have been different avenues and I completely get that that's me yeah no I just think it, I mean Lois Lane is throwing a. 110 mile an hour fastball when everybody else is just lobbing it over the plate. That's the person I want asking those questions. She she's she's doesn't suffer fools. She's not going to take no for an answer and she's going to she's going to expose them. She's going to confront them and put them in a position that they either have to, you know, stop the the uh the dialogue or or answer whatever manner they deem the truth. You know what I mean? She's she's like a viper. She's going to get what she wants. That's the person you want there. You don't want um so how was your day? You know, you don't want that kind of shit. No, you definitely don't. No, yeah. I, I, I agree with you there. It was just it, it But I didn't put that much thought into it. Like, okay, she's basically doing what she's always done, albeit yes. in a different arena. You know. But yes, the the presentation is impeccable. Um the the Rucka is as sharp and as canny a writer as he always was. It's just I I just don't want to read that for twelve issues. I can't. Right. I can't. I get it. Honestly, that's how I felt though. Like even looking at the pre orders, I was like, this is too real for me. Like I don't I don't need this right now. Like I have I have enough anxiety about the world as it is. I don't need right. it in my see right. life either. And I can yeah. hear Chris in the back of my, my head, you know, what the fuck are you talking about? This is what's going on in the world. You got to confront it. And mm-hmm. I understand I, that. Well, I, I get it. But uh, no, I want, I want Jimmy Olsen. There's falling so out many the other show. ways to, 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 to confront it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'd rather confront it in my real day to day life and then have a fantasy world on the side. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But that's me. That's, that, that is us. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we gonna back the train into the station, or you want to keep going? I'm I'm happy either way. I can go either way. Dap, what you thinking? Uh we can keep going. Hmm. Ooh. Ooh. I, I like it's this. Hot. I like the I like sound it. of that. I have. So, you'd go. Yes, that's this can is I good. Go? Can you I can go, go I got, all I got, day. I got a, I got another thing that uh, I was just wrapping up right before uh, the microphones apparently turned on. Right. Yes. Um, so I try to make a point to do all of the Kilgore books Kickstarters um, because I really believe in what Kilgore does. I think that they, as a, as a store and as a very sort of you know small press, micro press publisher, I really like what they do. Um, and I came to them because you know I've talked about this on the show with you guys before, but um, I really love. Um, I really love the good Van Skyver brother. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I think 
I think Noah Van Skyver is just an incredible cartoonist, and he um, he does wonderful things. And because of him, I was very drawn to Kilgore books. Um, so, so in the last Kickstarter package that I got, I got Noah's book, and I got um, a book by Emmy Jenis, and I got another book. Um, that I can't recall off the top of my head, but the one that I read that I wanted to talk about you uh, talked about with you guys was this book called September Twelfth by Robert Sergel. Maybe it's Sergel, but I think it's Sergel. It's got a G in it. I assume it's a soft G, like a soft G, right? With a with a constant or with a with a vowel after it. It's got to be a soft G. Anyway, uh, it's really good, um, and it's a series of three, maybe four um, vignettes. Um, by him, they're very they're person they're obviously personal stories, and he has a he has an art style that's very stark in terms of its black and whites. It's not quite Charles Burns, but he's clearly read a lot of Charles Burns, um, and uh, so it's it's very much in sort of that vein. But the first story in this is uh, TSA cares, where he's talking about a time that he went through TSA and. A uh, TSA agent asked him if he had a boner before before uh, before checking under his waistband. <laughs> and his, in his complaint to TSA about that, were in which they tell him, "Yeah, well, it looks like on the video everything's okay. We don't know what he said on the. We don't have audio, so we don't know what he said, but we assume you're fine, which is super fucked up um, for all kinds of reasons, right?" that um, they would just dismiss something like that. Let's just assume that it, this is a true story, which I do. Um, that's that's kind of uncomfortable. Um, but, the, but the comic moves on. Uh, there's a really... I think my favorite story in all of this is a story that is called... Um, it's like five or six uh, short stories, but one of them is called Empathy. And um, it's about him. I assume him. But it's about a guy who is reading a story about uh, Donald Trump uh, and Donald Trump loving golden showers because he does, right? I mean, of course he does. That's just that's just a fact. I've read that in, like, I'm a big-time, I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm a big-time Christian. I read that in the Bible, so it's got to be true. <laughs> um, anyway, so this guy is sitting in his car, and he's reading this story about John, Donald Trump loving golden showers, and um, this old man backs into him, and the old man gets out and starts arguing with him. He's like, what are you doing? You're in my parking spot. And the guy's like, no, this is a street. It's a public parking space. Get out of here. Um, and the old man sort of waddles off into his house, never to be seen again. But this younger guy, who, I again, I assume is Robert Sergel, is sitting in his car. And he's, he's trying to think through, like, you know, like, maybe I should be more empathetic. I should try to understand this guy. Maybe he's just really old and he has, you know, bad knees or he's just sort of set in his ways or maybe his wife has recently died and he goes inside and he talks to his wife and he feels bad about the way that he treated me, you know, and on and on and on. And he's thinking through like all these scenarios where he feels really genuinely bad for this guy. He's like, you know what? Maybe I was the asshole 
and this guy is just old and doesn't understand, you know, the world anymore. <laughs> and then he, and then he, then he breaks and he looks up at the guy's bumper stickers and it's like, uh, it's like a Gary Johnson for president 2016 <laughs> bumper sticker and, uh, all this other like libertarian stuff. And he's like, nah, fuck that guy. <laughs> and sort of waddles back into his house. Um, but anyway, the whole comic is really a lot of those stories. And then my second favorite story in this is about it's not it doesn't appear to be autobiographical. It's about this guy who kind of looks vaguely like a juggalo without his makeup. And he is, um, you know, he's really down about himself. The story is called Power. And he's really down about himself. And he's been reading all these self-help books. And he decides to pay the money and go to this self-help seminar for this guy named Mark Barnes who's written a book called The Power Placebo. And um, he walks in and he's reciting all of these verses from The Power Placebo to himself about how he's made such a rotten life for himself and that he should walk up to the first person that he meets that visualizes someone who scares him. And he says to them, and he stares into their eyes, and he, um, he says, I am not a sniveling worm. True power is mine for the taking. Mm-hmm. And the person that he's saying it to is the author of the book. And the author is like, all right, man, cool. Get the fuck out of here. I've got to finish my speech before I go on stage. And the guy looks at him again, and he starts sweating. And he's just really nervous He's because this guy clearly intimidates him. And like he's just following the orders from the book, right? And he screams in his face, I am not a sniveling worm. True power is mine for the taking. And then the guy, the guy who authors the book, stands up and shoves him and beats him up in a hotel bar and says, like, listen, man, like, no refunds, first of all. Second of all, I've got to finish my speech before I go in there and talk. And then he gets up and stabs the guy in the hand and stabs (laughs) his hand to a table and pins him to a table and walks off. Into the sort of you know wherever the, the hotel ballroom where this talk is going to happen. Anyway, so it's a lot of stories like that, and it's so, so it's, it's like, like Superman Year One. It's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> it is not that good. Um, mm. uh, no, I'm kidding. They're both good. Um, so, uh, but anyway, it was really it was really interesting and funny and. Um, it was it was a book that I sort of honestly just randomly picked on my um, uh, Kilgore Books Kickstarter, but I'm glad that I did because it was I think it's well cartooned, it's prescient certainly, um, and it's I, I I think it's incredibly funny, and I was glad that I read it. So that's uh, it's September 12th by Robert Sergel. Um, it's available on the Kilgore Books website for six bucks. Yeah, I think it's certainly more than worth that. Um, and I hope that somebody else reads it because I liked it a lot. There you go. So wait, you get to pick what books you get from the Kickstarter? So they have, um, as I remember it, for their Kickstarters when they run them, is they have um, each of their tiers offers different book packages. So you can order like the whole, um, the whole catalog for a season or whatever, or you can order certain books out of the season. I ordered the whole catalog. Nice. Um, and so I got everything that they did for whatever this was, the spring or summer, whatever. I think It's got to be spring for when I got these. Very interesting. I'm going to check this yeah. out. Yeah, no, they're good. And 
you know, and the thing is, is, you know, every, I think the smart thing that they do is each of the Kickstarters, at least the ones that I've um, supported, have included a uh, Noah Van Skyver book, right? Great. Because that's, I mean, to be honest, I mean, that's like my main just for supporting them is because I think Noah Van Skyver is just, I think he's one of those cartoonists that even though he's not making it into those like prestige books like America's Best Cartoonist, which mm-hmm. seems strange to me. I don't understand why he's not in there. He's a prestige cartoonist and he's doing stuff that's really funny and really now and he's really good about skewering um, incels and fanboys <laughs> and, you know, all of those things that sort of overlap. He's really good about that. I mean, he's really good at trashing everyone that his brother loves. Nice. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and I think he's just, I think he's an incredible cartoonist. So that's why I keep sort of coming back to those Kilgore things. Um, the nice thing is that because I, because I'm so enamored with Noah's work that I find all of these other cartoonists like Robert Sergil, um, there's two or three other books I got out of it, but honestly, I just haven't read them yet, but they look great. Um, this one called by Emmy Jenis called Baseline Boulevard. And then I um another one that's just sitting on my stack here is this um, uh, Cherry Berry Bad Girl. Uh, cher- yeah, Cherry Bad Girl fantasy comic by um, Inect. Uh, I- Inez Estrada. So, I mean, but... I mean, like I said, I haven't had a chance to read those yet, but just flipping through them, they're exactly in my wheelhouse. They're interesting. Even if they're not brilliant, they're interesting, and that's all I care about. Uh, yep. Is the art Is the art interesting? Is the story at least mildly compelling? Um, is it making me feel uncomfortable or feel challenged in some kind of way? And every time I read a Kilgore book, I feel that way. Um, so it's it's certainly worth supporting, I think. Sweet. Speaking of yeah. wheelhouse, I read something that pulled right into my wheelhouse and did not leave. Yeah. Yep. It was written by Bob France and Kevin Koofy, C-U-F-F-E. Would you pronounce that Koofy? I would say Koofy. Okay. Illustrated by Walter Osley. It's published by Scout Comics. We've talked about them number of times the it was um a trade paperback called metal shark bro mm. yeah yeah i heard about this to say that this book made me giddy is an understatement it starts off with a heavy metal band and they're celebrating on a yacht and they're doing things that um the perception of heavy metal bands what they do when they're not making music um they're doing those things they're they're drinking and there's drugs and there's women and and they're on a yacht and they're celebrating because they signed the record deal and they're like yeah and um one metal bro gives the devil horns and he says hail satan and he goes to give his other metal bro a high five and the metal bro misses and the He's hit in the head by the the Hail Satan high five, and he goes, Hmm. he falls overboard. And when he falls overboard, he is eaten by a a shark, a great white shark. He's devoured. As soon as he is consumed by this shark, enter Beelzebra. Mm -hmm. Beelzebra is the nephew 
of the great Satan. And he's right. He comes in riding this skull faced hell cycle that would make the main man green with envy. This thing has got the horns, big old skull. It's a flames coming out of it. And Beelzebra confronts the shark. He's like, yo, creature, you just killed a knight in Satan's service. Not nudge, nudge, wink, wink. The This bro sold his soul to Satan, and now our ranks are one member thin. So you need to step up and take his place. Bro, so you got to be the bro. And Beelzebra transforms the shark into an anthropomorphic studded leather wearing belt buckle with the skull. He's got Chuck Taylors on, unlaced, of course. He transforms him into a, an anthropomorphic shark. He said, you shall be Metal Shark Bro. <laughs> right? So the the shark doesn't want it. He doesn't want anything to do with it. He wants to go back to being a shark. And Beelzebra says, all right, Metal Shark Bro, <laughs> I'll make a deal with you. Not always a good idea when a demon makes a deal with you. But anyway, he, he makes a deal. And he says, here, you you take this list of damn souls, kill them all real good. Real good. So the boss gets his souls. And when you've killed them all, I'll change you back to shark and we'll be square. Right? So Metal Shark Bro embarks on a killing spree. He's he looking at the list, goes right down the list, killing all these people that have sold their soul to the devil. And he's he's doing a great job. Meanwhile, back at the Vatican, it is prophesied that Satan's ultimate soldier will usher in Armageddon. And this ultimate soldier will have the head of a shark and the body of a man. And it was foretold in the real Bible, you know, the one with the dinosaurs and the black Jesus, that um, desperate times call for desperate measures. So they unleash the ninja nuns into the wild. Mm. Yes. So now there's a, a pack of wild ninja nuns after the metal shark bro. Um, he's killing like crazy. Uh, but he, he has a bit of a time destroying this one uh, wizard. The wizard transforms to this giant goat-headed uh, beast, and oh, he's, he's trying to beat him. And the uh, the wizard had, there's this flying eyeball, with a, a speaking giant eyeball with tentacles and bat wings, and it wears a little bowler hat. And the the eyeball helps... Metal Shark Bro through the battle. He's, he, he offers him suggestions like, it's not working out this way, so why don't you do it that way? And so they become fast friends. And he names the giant flying eyeball Ira. <laughs> this thing is great, right? So he, he, the Ira's like the gray matter to Metal Shark's approach. Like he, he's, he's a tactician and a thinker, and he's just basically smarter than an anthropomorphic shark. So they're buddies, you know. And Metal Shark finishes everybody on the list. He killed them all. Uh, but, big surprise, Beelzebra tricked him into doing his dirty work so he can go on vacation. And he has, he has absolutely no intention of turning him back. So Metal Shark Bro takes steps to make the lying son of a bitch turn him back to the way he was. And that, that's the second half of the, of the trade. It's wonderful. 
it's just it, it's so much fun the art is incredibly loose and fluid it's great the the designs of all the creatures in this thing with uh metal shark bros great I, I want a metal shark bro vinyl I, I think there will be not much time until this thing is made into a vinyl. Um, like I said, Beelzebra, he's a pig, and, and he's riding this this uh, hell cycle. Uh, all the creatures in this thing are brilliantly designed. I, I love the art. I think it's – it's. Uh, how do I compare it to someone? Do I have to compare it to someone? I don't know. No. It, it's, it's very loose, um, but there's a little discrepancy because all of the um, preview pages I've seen online – the language seems to have been toned down for the trade. Like mm. um, on the preview pages, it's it's littered with fuck, fuck yeah, fucking metal, you know. But on the on the in the trade, fuck is changed to fin. Metal Shark Bros mm. say fin that or yeah, fin yes, you know. So I mean, it, there, there's still profanity in it, but it's not as raw. As the and it, it, to be honest, it doesn't really hurt the, the story at all. Sure, I mean it's bloody as hell. There's there's it's a shark cutting people to ribbons, you know. So it it's it's very visceral, very very um, it's very violent, which I loved, right? And it the 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 uh, chewy center is is heavy metal, and it just got me thinking how some things happen in waves, right? Look at Murder Falcon. The, yeah. the the center of that is is metal and it just seems like trends erupt and then they disappear you know the science fiction at 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 um at image now with the the children in the main with ascender and descender and now you had um sea of stars it just seems like there's right. there's there's waves of things that that come and go and i i think metal shark bro is is uh you know in that heavy metal uh vein which is great and i just thought it was wonderful yeah. But it, there's a little weirdness to it too. Like they published, Scout published the first issue, and this trade is called, you know, there's a binge label on it, which means is you're paying again for that first issue that you may have bought plus the rest of the story. So they they like to do single issues, and then they do these binge books that gives you the whole story. Why, once you picked up on their methodology, why would you ever buy the single issues? And not just wait for the binge books when you're getting it all. I don't know, but whatever, whatever the case, they they seem to think it's a it's a savvy business decision. I don't know, but whatever, you're going to plunk down money for this thing. It's not very expensive. I think it was like fifteen bucks for you know, yeah. and after discount, it cost me less than ten, I guess. Yeah. But it, it was wonderful, and it's completely and utterly within my wheelhouse. A a a bloodthirsty shark chopping up people that have sold their souls to the devil and there's a heart to it too it's not just all mayhem the the uh the camaraderie between metal shark and um ira is it's cute and it's you know they're they're, they're actually friends at the end of this um but uh the i know there's a kickstarter for volume two but once you read the end of this i don't know how there could be but i'm sure they'll figure something out Mm. Yeah, it's pretty great. Metal Shark Bro by Scout Comics. Y'all, metal. So you didn't finish um, Murder Falcon, did you? Uh, no, I am. Hold on. I am maybe. Um, oh, what the hell is it? I just had it. Um, 
You didn't read the last issue, issue, did you? Issue and a half away from finish. Okay. All right. Then I can't say anything about it. No. No. And I and 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 we'll get into it when when I do finish it. We'll we'll touch on. I mean, it's 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 a beautiful piece of work. Um and it it should be scratching every itch I have. Um I think it's his best work. I and and I and and I think that's awesome. And I think I I definitely get why that is said um and it looks like it's his best work visually his his i don't i I don't think he's ever looked better um but i i think i enjoyed as of right now i enjoyed the story of extremity more what did you read the last issue We'll see. That's what I'm saying. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not writing anything off yet. It's, but be, I have to get to that last issue, and and because I know, you know, this week, for example, Jason's not here. Last week we had Tom on, so I mean, there have been reasons for me to catch up on other things and and wait until we're all together um, before I need to finish it. I'll I'll probably finish it this weekend, and I'm sure it will knock me on my ass, and and it's it it, it probably is a more personal story yeah it doesn't but, have um, the depth of extremity but it's a different sure. it's a different story so what right you know um but either way but yeah no it, it's it it looks fantastic i will finish it, it it's all just right, um, right. I, I i promise okay if nothing is left to be said we must do our in your travels um yeah because we're not going to talk about a physical woman because i didn't really it's that all that much although i did you know what this was my very first comic with these characters uh or with some of these characters what's left of these characters um i because of when it was published um i wasn't knee deep in things um i read my very first ecstatics comic oh Oh, nice with giant size ecstatics number one um so yeah, I, I I didn't I wasn't there at the end of X Force. I wasn't there when um, when Milligan and uh, and the All Reds changed it to Ecstatics. I you know I I knew it was spoken well of and and, and thought of fondly, but um, I had no association. I, I I didn't know who the characters were. I knew who Dupe was, but I I didn't know you know anybody else. But um, I enjoyed the hell out of this issue um so much so that yeah i do now want to um get the old stories um i don't know how many collections there are i don't know what the hell's still in print um there was an omnibus there was and i'm pretty sure that's out of print and and uh but yeah I, and and now with with excellence starting uh yeah I, I'm, I'm guessing that uh they'll publish it again reprint it but um but I, I, I had a lot of fun with it. It, it it's um, you know, kind of like how Jimmy Olsen feels in, within the DC universe with with what uh, what's going on in the Flash or in Batman, um, or even in in Superman. How Jimmy Olsen makes me feel. Um, Ecstatics kind of hit that for me when I think about, you know, things that are happening in, in Dr. Strange or Captain Marvel. And, and, um, it, it looks fantastic. I, 
not that there should be any surprise there, but um, I really didn't know what to expect because I have no familiarity with these characters. But uh, but it was it was neat, man. I I really really enjoyed it. I, I wasn't expecting to. I, I don't want to say I wasn't expecting to. I didn't know what to expect, and and by the time I finished it. I, uh, I I wanted more. I thought um, it 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 doesn't feel like a Marvel book, but it does, and and I think that um, there's something there's something unique on these pages, obviously, and that's not that's not new to anybody or news to anybody uh, who's familiar with the characters or, or the creators. But yeah, I um, I'm a convert now, I guess, if if such a thing exists. But since I had no um, frame of reference, and, and now I kind of sort of do. I want more. So, yeah, th- that that could have been my new travels, but I just, um, since I'm the last one of us to, um, to have read anything regarding this group, um, I figured I should at least throw it out there. Characters drop like flies in that book. Yeah. Apparently. You need, you need, you need to read it. Yeah. I will. Not, I mean, the, the series. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, everybody. Hey, thank you for doing this with us. We had a ball. We hope you do this with us again. Uh, remember, if you would like to get your comics on the cheapness, there's only one place to go. Discount Comic Book Service. DCBService.com will get you everything from the previews catalog at a fraction of those little tiny prices that are listed in there, such as the Man Wolf Complete Collection from Marvel, Nineteen ninety nine, Olivia James Nancy Hardcover Collection Volume One for eight dollars and twenty four cents, and Chris Ware's Rusty Brown Hardcover from Pantheon will cost you twenty four fifty. But you'll be able to stop a Mack truck with it. So, invest right um, in your travels. I got it right here. I don't want to speak too much on this. Because I want to talk about it with my brothers um, at length, I should say. It is from Amulet Books, written and drawn by Nathan Hale. It is called Apocalypse Taco. Yes. Uh, I saw it in the previews. I said, um, okay, let me do a little bit of investigating. And I googled... um, Blah, blah, blah. And I love the art style. So I invested and I'm really glad I did. It is, um, wow. How do I encapsulate? What's the elevator pitch for this book? Um, it, it starts with a high school production of Brigadoon. <laughs> and the, uh, the kids are all holed up in the auditorium overnight because the next day is dress rehearsal. And they don't have the sets done, and they don't have the lights programmed, and things need to be done. And um, a teacher allows her two middle school children, um, Axel and Ivan, to participate. Um, at one point in the evening, people get hungry. So Sydney, a high schooler, takes Axel and um, Ivan to uh, McDonald's. But the plan goes awry because Axel is a little bit of a pissant and loses all of the vouchers that his mother gave him to get the food. So they end up going to a place called Taco Bear. And it's a place that they didn't notice coming down the road. But yet, here it is. 
Um, the tacos that they they buy uh, eventually attack them. There is a being made of human teeth in this book. It's it's all ages, but it pulls no punches. It, there's a lot of body horror in this book, and it's done in a very different artistic style. It's um, a lot of grays, but there is a spot color of uh, a peachy, peachy, fleshy um, color that is uh, used throughout the book. It, it's it's the visuals on this book are very unique. And so is the story. Um, it's a science-based body horror tale involving children, preteens and, and uh, teenagers. And wow, completely, completely out of the blue. And I loved every bit of it. Um, here, here's the, the, the pitch on the back. A sinister drive through threatens to end the world. And three kids in a beat-up truck are humanity's only hope. And I won't read anymore. Um, if you're curious... Google Nathan Hale Apocalypse Taco. Give it a look. See, see if you want to read it. it I'm, it's probably available digitally, but I bought the hardcover. It's got the spot varnish on there. Um, it's great. It, it was completely enjoyable, um, and there's room for more at the end. So I don't know whether it's a series or not. There's no number on it, but as a one and done, it's like a very accessible episode of a. Uh, young readers twilight zone uh and mm. i sh- i shouldn't say young readers because hale doesn't dumb it down or um pull back on some of the uh the the icky goings on it's it's there's a lot of disturbing panels in this but he has a very clean clear line uh everything is rendered very um very tastefully until you get to the things that start appearing and then it gets it gets pretty damn gruesome, but it's all a very single weight line, um, single weights. There's more than one weight line, but he 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 knows his stuff, and I just thought it was captivating. Hmm. Yeah, Apocalypse Taco. All right, there you go. Um, in your travels, um, I will mention that from Wonder Comics, Naomi. Number six finishes the first arc of the first season. Um, her last name is revealed, which I thought about and realized that, yeah, I guess I guess we didn't know what um, her or her, her parents, her foster parents' um, last name is. But um, it was a subtle drop. It wasn't a big deal, at, at, um, a major reveal. It was just, it was a nice little... Um, mentioned but uh she has her first kind of battle and and the issue um just kind of lets you know that uh naomi isn't going away anytime soon you'll be able to see her in um in other upcoming issues i believe according to preview she's going to appear um in an issue of action comics but what i do want to mention is also from wonder comics it is young justice number seven where they kind of traipse through the multiverse a little bit um, and it is a ton of fun. The, um, they, they end up on the earth where, um, 
the Kingdom Come Earth. And they, of course, when you know heroes meet, they have to fight a little bit. Uh, so that kind of happens. Um, but the art by by John Timms is just absolutely stunning and is is definitely a highlight of the issue. Um, I thought Bendis's take on on all the characters, even the Kingdom Come characters, um, was fitting for the book. I chuckled where I was supposed to. Um, nothing was um, nothing seemed off, uh, at least as far as my eyes and ears are concerned. But um, you know, it's it's the first part of Lost in the Multiverse, uh, the second arc, and next is uh, the worst Earth, the absolute worst one. It's not even close, whatever that could mean. And um, we'll we'll uh, we'll see in issue eight. But yeah, it, in your travel, I'm still enjoying the hell out of Young Justice. I thought the um, maybe the first arc might have gone on a little longer than. Um, that maybe it needed to as far as setting the, the stage for things or how long we actually stayed on um on Gemworld. But I am um really looking forward to uh to this multiverse art. I mean I'm a sucker for the DC multiverse to begin with, but when you um throw in uh characters like those from Young Justice, especially um Tim Drake, especially Connor Kent, um it's kind of what I need right there. So I'll, um, I'm definitely coming back and I, I have high hopes for it. And I hope, um, I am not disappointed. There you go. Woo-hoo. So, um, for me, I guess I kind of shot my wad on September 12th because, uh, <laughs> Ew. but I went ahead and shot my wad on it because, um, in his very generous and kind introduction, um, Vince mentioned my forthcoming Ditko book. So is yes. it okay if I talk about that for a second? Don't even ask that question. Just do it. Okay. Well, you know, it's not my show. I got to ask these things. I don't want to impose. I know we're all close friends. and I've, Now you're making it worse. You right. know, you know. <laughs> and your travels by my shit. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... So I guess I just wanted to use the opportunity for the infra- in your travels to pit my forthcoming book, which is at the University Press of Mississippi. Uh, it should be out within the next year or so when it's uh, <laughs> uh, when it's available for pre-order. I'm sure that I will irritate the fuck out of people with it and letting them know. Um, but uh, but you guys, uh, at least I don't you know I'm not asking you to read it or if you have read it or anything like that, that would be fucking weird to ask friends. Um, but I've sent you guys uh, the early manuscript drafts of it, and it's about Steve Ditko. So I really hope that people um, take the time to read it because there is a lot of, um, let's say, Ditko mythology out there that has really absolutely nothing to do with him as a person, and it's not really accurate and uh, accurate reflections of his work either. Um, so I do a lot in the book to try to dispel really, um, terrible, not productive myths like, um, Ditko didn't think that Norman Osborn should be the green goblin. Mm -hmm. Like that's not true. That's simply not true. That's a lie, um, that gets perpetrated by, or that gets perpetuated by people that, um, 
should otherwise be really thoughtful and trustworthy about these things. Mm. Um, that was Ditko's plan all along that uh, Norman Osborn should be uh, the green, the green goblin. That was always his plan, but there's also, but I also try to make an effort to talk about things in it. Um, like uh, really important stuff, particularly for our p- current political moment. Not that this is a political podcast, but I mean, Dr. Strange, he's East Asian. He's Tibetan. He was created as an Asian character. And um, that was radically changed by, um, let's say, editorial mm-hmm. at Marvel. At Marvel, um, not by Ditko's discretion. Um, so strange things ha- start to happen with that character. Not being cute with the language, but strange things start to happen with that character once uh, Stanley asks uh, George Russo to start inking the character. Um, that's not a coincidence that those things happen. So the book explores a lot of those things, but it also tries to explore um, the importance of what Ditko presents and what he reflects about sort of the changing face of American liberalism, which is a contested term. It doesn't always mean leftist. It typically means libertarian, honestly, whether our leftist listeners believe want to accept that or not. Um, that's just the facts. Um, so... So Ditko's book, so Ditko's work really is an interesting um, window into the shifting face of liberalism in the 20th century, and um, I work really hard to sort of make that plain for readers. And because, quite frankly, because so many people believe that he's an objectivist, even though he's really not an objectivist, he likes Ayn Rand, but he's not an objectivist. Um, the book also re- works really hard to sort of parse that out as well. And sort of make sense of the weird sort of mystical elements of liberalism in the 20th century. Um, because there's a lot of people who believed really weird things. Like really strange and bizarre things. Um, so so that's at the University Press of Mississippi now. Um, if folks are interested, they can uh, at least look on Pop Matters and they can see sort of uh, a very uh, thin edge of the wedge version of my take on Dr. Strange and his East Asian identity. Um, that's all there and it's part of the book. So I hope folks read it and it's, uh, they find it, uh, interesting at least. So there you go. It's going to be There's wonderful. It's going to be I'm, wonderful. I'm really excited for this. And, um, you know, I've worked on this. You guys know, I mean, I've been working on the Ditko stuff for a long time and thinking really hard about this. And, um, I think that I, I I I honestly believe that, and if you're if you think differently, I I I, I wish that you would tell me so. Um, that I think that he is so fundamentally misunderstood by most comics readers that it um, it's disturbing. Honestly, it's it's really troubling to me, like how how hard a lot of people work to misunderstand what he's saying and trying to do. Right. Um, I, I don't agree with him politically on on a lot of things, um, but he's not the person that he's been painted to be um, by a lot of, say, comics press. And I think that that's a byproduct of the fact that they haven't actually read the things that he's done or right. really thought about them. Right. Um, so he, he, he's a really complicated person. And uh, but his work is really vitally important for how we understand contemporary comics. There, I and you know, for as as important as someone like Kirby is, 
I mean, there's, I mean, Kirby to me is the most singularly important person to contemporary super to superhero comics in general. Like sure. the genre does not exist without Jack. Truth. Um, I mean, I know Siegel and Schuster. I mean, they did their stuff, but it's really Jack that invents the language of the superhero comic. Um, when Ditko comes along and he's working in the uh, Kirby and um, oh fuck, I've had five beers. So what's the name of uh, Kirby's part? <laughs> Uh, in the forties, uh, that lies. Oh, Simon, yeah, yeah, Joe Simon, Joe yeah, Simon. yeah. Sorry, yeah, the that guy lies. <laughs> that, sorry. Joe, Joe Simon, Joe Simon's history of the comics is really troubling. It's really problematic. Anyway, I mean, it's Kirby and Simon that you know that are that are creating the language, but it's really. But when when Steve comes along, when Ditko comes along in the fifties, and he's incorporating all that stuff from the horror genre, he he's the one who really changes it. And by the time you get to Amazing Spider-Man 33, that is a pivotal moment in American superhero comics. Like, everything we think we know about the superhero, I think, begins with Amazing Spider-Man 33. Not with, not with Action Number 1, not with Captain America Comics Number 1. It's Amazing Spider-Man 33, because that's where it changes from being just a, a masculine fantasy about power... It becomes something internal and becomes about heart and it becomes about consciousness and it becomes about doing right and all of those things. I mean, that's Amazing Spider-Man 33 where all of that is really sort of encapsulated when in that lifting sequence. You know everything you know about – you need to know about the American superhero in five pages and that's all you need. Um, and – you know, I, I and he's there's a there's a fundamental shift there in the way that we sort of read these things. Now, now, why do you have to end the show with that instead of start it off with that? <laughs> because because, because uh, I, I can't get asked a question, so I was trying to uh, I was trying to be defer- deferential to the format. Oh my god, man! We could have just that could have been a whole episode. So well, well, why don't we do that again? We could do that again for sure. We could definitely do that again. Yeah, make your Patreon episode so people got to pay for it. So oh they- no, 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 no! <laughs> well, no. Pippin ain't easy over here. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, like I mean, we can talk about that at length later. But I, I mean, I really truly believe that. I mean, that moment in Amazing Spider-Man thirty-three is the sea change in American superhero comics. Right, that moment, and then just not even two years later when Vic Sage kills those two guys in the sewer. Right. I mean, those are the two sort of like fundamental shifts in American comics, like Spider-Man lifting, Spider-Man lifting Dr. Octopus's, you know, base off of his head. And then the question kicking two ordinary criminals into a sewer and letting them drown to death and telling them that they should drown to death. I mean, those are, I mean that those are the moments when American comics change. Um, for better or worse. But um, so anyway, so I, I try really hard to sort of unpack all of those ideas um, in the book itself um, because I think they're important and I think we should think about these things. And I don't have to convince you guys or really the audience, but, you know, comic books change the way that we see and think about the world around us. And, um, you know, Ditko is really at the forefront of, of a lot of those changes. So, so I hope people read that. I hope they check out the Pop Matters article. Uh, I hope they read the other articles I've written about this stuff. And there you go. That's in your travels. The end. Boom. Do it.
All right. Thank you, uh, everybody, for listening to this. As usual, thank you, Zach, for spending time with us. Big, Are you kidding me? Big, big hug. This is one of my favorite things to do in the whole wide world. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Your wife is beautiful. You should be. She beautiful. is beautiful. <laughs> She's in bed sleeping. Ooh. You know who's not sleeping? David and Vince. It's, we never sleep. <laughs> I, I know. And we live together, too. It's all a ruse. That's yeah. true. That's why that's why I contribute to the fucking, you know, Patreon <laughs> to pay your rent. If you uh, would like to experience more of this aside from the audio versions, you can come onto the Facebook page, many different tiers in that thing. We're on Instagram and Twitter and Reddit, which is very yes. cool. Haven't figured it out yet, but I'll t- I'll tell you. <laughs> The way this uh, Facebook shit has gone down this week, I may be parking my ass over at Reddit because if I see one more person with the face app, I swear I was going to scream. <laughs> and it boggles my friggin' mind that Jason did it. Like, why are you doing this? My favorite part is that he's on vacation. He's like, no, I should really check in with this. Yeah, here's my here, here's me as looking like Pete Townsend in, in, in fucking five years. <laughs> and he does look like Pete Townsend. You can't say that he doesn't. And long story short, check out the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics. Take a look, see. Um, I have ideas. Uh, I've been, well, we've been doing a lot of different stuff. But, Dap, what do you think? To uh, supplement the pay, the cover of the day with a page of the day. I love it. All right, just take a, a random page out of out of a comic and put that yep. up there with the cover of the day, um, and you can fine tune it. You can do splash of the day, double page spread of the day, but 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 whatever. So we we got things things rolling. Um, but thank you for listening. Uh, we love you so much. In the meantime, you know what to do. Make them happy. Say good night. David. Oh. I. Let me do it again. I could do it. I could do it. Nice. Okay. Cool. David. Oh, there you go. That was hot. It was smoking. Yes. Super hot. We love you. Say goodnight, people. Goodnight. Bye, guys. Choo choo.